your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. For the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Now he goes. And he's going to steal it, and it comes into center field. Estrada up and on the move. And now it's kicked around, and Estrada's going to go for it, and he's going to make it. Yeah. And he hits a high fly ball to right. It is out of here. Get out into right center field, and nobody's there. Here comes Peterson. He's going to score. And the tying run is at second base. High drive. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. You know, the, the nice thing about the Cardinals losing against the Giants, at least the Giants have great broadcasters. So when we get to hear from them every morning, we're hearing quality broadcasting as we're coming into the station. Like can, I, guy. can I complain about one thing, though? Please. Could we do this in, like, a not West Coast road trip to where, like, you're staying up till the wee hours of the morning which for me is like 11 15 11 30 we have it's still it's still technically <laughs> hey, that, that day is, that is that is bedtime for your boy but oh, like geez. can we do this like you know central time zone maybe a little east coast road trip why are we going to do this on the west coast guys everything that can go wrong for the cardinals is going wrong for the cardinals right now and alongside alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kylie you've got bk and ferrario here on 101 espn Guys, there's a million different things that we're going to get into throughout the day today with this Cardinals team, with everything that's going wrong. And we want to hear from you. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We start big picture because I feel like we have arrived in a place where you could complain about anything and I would be like, yeah, that's fair. Here's why I don't necessarily disagree. But what you're saying is fair. Because every criticism of this team right now is fair. They're not hitting well. They're not defending well. They're not running the bases well. They're not pitching particularly well. Nothing about what they're doing right now is going according to form. And it all seems to come back to something that is like the easiest thing to do, which is, well, it's the manager's fault. And again, I'm not telling you that you're wrong. I disagree with it. But I understand where it's coming from because what we're watching right now is not a representative product of what any of us were anticipating from the Cardinals this season. So I want to start here. I'm not asking, is Ollie Marmol on the hot seat? I think the answer to that is clearly no. He's barely more than a year into his tenure here in St. Louis. He and the front office, they align on things. They see the game the same way. 
And if we're being honest, we're 25 games into this season and Ollie Marmel last year did an excellent job. I thought he should have been National League Manager of the Year. So he ain't getting fired right now whether you want him to or not. That's not the question I want to ask, though. In your guys' mind, should Ollie Marmel be on the hot seat? Want to hear from our listeners? The mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. You can also text in 314-399-9646. Alex, when I ask that question, should Ollie Marmel be on the hot seat? What is your answer? My answer is no, because I, I view it the same way as I view it as Craig Bruby. And frankly, when it comes to coaching around pro sports, like there is so much more that goes into a team's struggle than just pointing the finger at the coach and saying, well, we got to get rid of this guy because he's the reason why. Now, there are certain circumstances where, yeah, the coach is the issue, but more times than not, it's a team that's underperforming and not living up to the expectations. And the coach is the guy that he's on the chopping block for it. But I will say it, it just doesn't feel right right now with Ali Marmol. And I don't know what it is. It just doesn't feel the way it felt like last season with Ali. And to me, it started with the Tyler O'Neill thing. Yes, I understand calling out Tyler O'Neill and dogging it around third base. We all saw it. It was very strange. But you were setting the tone in the first week of the season that this is not how we perform as the Cardinals. And if you do it this way, then you're not on the team. And then ever since, it's been guys misplaying balls in the field and guys missing cues on the base paths and guys shifting around in position and getting multiple days off in a week for one guy. And then another guy's moving to a different position and Taylor Motter's playing over guys that should be playing. Like there are so many question marks that have taken place this season and then you get the performance where this team is every single series underperforming and comments from Ollie like oh, we don't really care about the first game of the series where we all agreed at the time probably wasn't the best way to go about that it just all feels strange so no I'm not I don't believe Ali Marmol should be on the hot seat right now because he's less than two years into a major league manager for this Cardinals team and we saw the success last year but I'm really starting to question, I don't want to say the leadership, but I'm questioning the tone that he's trying to set for this team. I, I would say, should it be on the hot seat? I would say not yet. I, I, I do think a time may come, though, later in the year if the struggles continue to where that seat might start to warm. Because to your point, yes, it is only just his second year. But last year, I didn't feel like they were entering a winning window. I, I thought they were on the verge of getting to one. And there was kind of the honeymoon phase. It was like, oh, hey, we haven't really seen this where a manager's going to play the platoons. We haven't really seen that. We've always seen here's a lineup. It's going to be like that every day unless the guy needs a day off. That's what Mike Schilt was. And now you're starting to see here in year two, some of this isn't working out. And I don't think that's all on Ollie. I think that is on the players like the platoons. If they're not working out the outfield mix, how people don't like it. That's on the players not performing. But when you enter a winning window, I think there's more pressure, and I think you have to right the ship sooner rather than later to have that winning window take off. And right now, this window has scuffled. I think it's still just early season. Weirdish happens in the first month and a half of a Major League Baseball season. Now it's the first month and a half. First, it was the first couple of weeks of the season. Yeah. Then it was the first month. Now first, it's the first month and a half. I, still in the first month. And yeah, then when you yeah. get to the All Star break, weirdish happens in the first yeah. six months of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But. I, I do think weirdish happens in the first month, month and a half. And, and I, I think it will right. I think things will right. The sh this team will right the ship. But if they don't, I do think the seat will start to heat up on Ollie Marmolt because they they are entering a winning window. They've basically said that. I mean, you've got young talent coming up with Walker. You've seen Gorman finally hitting his potential. They've got young arms ready to start coming up through this pipeline here in the next year, two years. 
there is there is pressure to start winning. And I, I do think that the seat will warm up on Ollie Marmol quicker than we are expecting. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we should be there yet. But I do think if this team can't get this turned around this season, I think that seat will really start to warm and it will warm quickly on Ollie Marmol. So I will start out by saying this. I'm surprised by our text line. The vast majority of people on the text line, and this tells me that it is the vocal minority that is saying fire Ollie are saying something to the effect of no, this is a this is a roster construction issue, which I actually agree with. But I would have assumed that people would have been more coming for Ollie's head today, given what uh, the issues have been, especially in recent days. I was listening to Adam Wainwright earlier today, Alex, and he said something that I found to be really interesting. I agree with him said, you know, for for good teams, it's about limiting these dry spells. And I think you can say the same thing about good players, right? It's about, for the NHL, best goal scorers, well, they don't go 12 straight games without scoring a goal. They'll they'll score one every four games at a minimum, right? Playoff teams don't go seven straight losses. Exactly. You stop the snowball. The Cardinals this year started out by losing seven of their first 10 games. And now most recently, they have lost six of their last eight games. This is a team that loses every first game of a series, and then they can't seem to get things back on track. They'll show you flashes. It's like a a great player that's past his prime, where you still see it in flashes, right? Even for me as a LeBron James fan, his defense is atrocious right now. It's absolutely horrendous. One of the worst in the NBA. But God, there are moments where you see it. He's got the behind the back block and it looks like it did when he was 28 years old, when he was in his prime playing for the Miami Heat, where he still got it. But that doesn't show up very often. It's kind of what the Cardinals are right now. You see it in flashes where you're like, oh, yeah, this is the team that has Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado and a young star and Nolan Gorman and Wilson Contreras, who they signed and large new bar. And oh, yeah, there's Brendan Donovan, who got on base 37 percent of the time last year. Man, this lineup is good. You get to the back end of your bullpen. You're like, oh, yeah, Drew Verhagen. He's a different guy this year. And man, Zach Thompson, look at that curveball. Oh, here comes Gio. Here comes Helsley. And you can see it. And you're like, oh, I understand how this can look really good. But then for the vast majority of the season, the team that we've seen is not that team. They haven't played that well. And they've been giving out, giving free outs on the bases. They have defensively been porous, whether it's in the outfield or Tommy Edmond over the last couple of games, kicking the ball at second base. And so I say all of that to say this. I don't think Ollie Marmel is or should be on the hot seat. But the vibes are so weird on this team, man. The vibes are off. Let's pick up some good vibration. T-Bone, hit the music. The Cardinals are now 9-15 and through 24 games this season. It is, according to ESPN Stats and Info, the worst 24-game start to a season for the Cardinals in 50 years since 1973 when they started the season 5-19. and (laughs) That was a bad year. (laughs) The Rockies are the only National League team currently with more losses on the season than your St. Louis Cardinals. So I believe Ollie Marmel to be a really good manager. I believed Bruce Bochy during those Giants runs to be a really good manager. I believed Alex Cora to be a really good manager in Boston. And yet they had weird seasons where it just didn't go their way. And so I can't explain this. I hope you don't ask me to because I can't explain why we're watching this. This sounds like a job for Stat Boy. <laughs> but I do think this team, the way they're managed, the way the roster is constructed, I say all of that to say this. It does put Ollie 
kind of not on the hot seat, but it does make it easier to criticize him mm-hmm. because of how many decisions he needs to make on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I mean, he's scrambling because the team is scrambling. And if the team's scrambling, then he starts to scramble. And then, of course, that's the first person you go to. I would push back a little bit on the roster construction, though, and I'm going to be in the firing squad with this right now. But please. I understand people's texts coming in saying, well, it's all about not bringing in that elite pitching to help this team. Yeah, absolutely. But there's not a significant change in term of what you had last year to this year, with the exception of Yadier Molina retiring and Albert Pujols retiring. I would disagree with that. I think you've added two new outfielders and Nolan Gorman has become a consistent part of your lineup this year. You didn't eliminate pieces from your roster to where you're saying like, oh, well, the offense got worse because like the Blues, you walked away from David Perron. You're saying, oh, well, your offense got worse because you got rid of a guy who was a productive player. The roster construction, albeit, yes, you didn't add an elite pitcher, but we all agreed there were only a couple of guys available this offseason that would have made sense for you to go after in terms of free agency. And then the trade conversation pops up. But you brought back the same roster you had last year. And last year, everybody was so gung-ho about the winning window opening right now. So I don't know if I blame roster construction for how this team's going. And, and that's kind of where I fall. Is I, It'd be one thing if we're talking about a team that's you know supposed to lose 100 games. I could look at the roster and go, yeah, how can I blame the man? This team's clearly yeah, got like no talent Pirates, on exactly. it. Yeah. I, I look at this roster and I go, there's plenty of talent on it. So why is it not clicking? I, I do understand the outfield. It does feel crowded. And I, I think there is a move that should be made there. But like, that's the only one that I can point to and say, hey, here's why it's not working. Otherwise, yes, it's mostly the same pitching staff. In fact, you should have a better pitching staff because Jack's back and is healthy and looks like himself. And you got Jordan Montgomery for a full season. Yeah, the bullpen should be better. I mean, Cabrera looks like himself. Verhagen, though he gave up a big home run in his last outing, has looked better and has looked healthy. So if I'm going to go point the finger at something, I, I know that nobody likes to hear it because I, I do think that it shouldn't just be blamed on the manager, but he's the guy that's going to fall for it. He's not faultless this year. I will say that. I, I do think there have been some questionable decisions. And while it worked out, yesterday was some Athena magic, boys. Oh, boy. He was overthinking the hell out of that inning where they did get some runs on the board. Pinch hitting Paul DeYoung for Brendan Donovan. Yeah. That was some wild managing, and it worked. And then O'Neill so for more power to it? him. Tyler O'Neill for Lars Newpar, yeah, who doesn't right. have lefty lefty splits. <laughs> it was it was some <laughs> wild decisions that were going on there, and I it worked. So nobody's gonna question it. But those were some of the most questionable decisions I've seen from Ollie so far this year. The Taylor Motter love fest. We'll get into that later today. Oh, yeah. BK's fired up for that. That was weird. There has been some weird stuff. I'm not going to deny it. So far this season, when it comes to whether it's decision-making, post-game comments, I... I it's hard for me to just deny, deny, well, deny that none of that is happening when it is. We're watching it. It's taking place. The other thing for me, too, is like, stop putting Tommy Edmond at second base. Like, if you committed to Tommy Edmond being the shortstop, like, leave him at shortstop. The errors that he's committed in the last couple of games have been at second base. Keep the guy at the position you told him he was going to play this season. And I say all of that to say this. Again, the way that they have constructed this team does lead itself to more criticism. It makes him ripe for criticism. And I heard something earlier today from Kerry Davis that I wanted to play here. I want to react to it on the other side. Kerry was talking about how coaches, when they get their second opportunity, they always say the same thing. Here's what Kerry Davis said earlier today on the opening drive. I told you if it was me and the management said, you need to do this, 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 and this, I'm going to do it 100%. And when it doesn't work, Randy, I'm going to sit just like this on my hands and not make a move. 
because this is what you wanted to do. But the problem that that I've learned, every coach that I've talked to that has been fired from a place, they always say, my next time, I'm doing it my way. Yep. If mm. I'm going to get fired, yeah. I'm going to do it my way. I don't give a damn what they say. I think Kerry is exactly right. I think he's applying it in the wrong way to this current situation. I'll explain why that is with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll also hear from Janet on the other side. I always enjoy yeah! hearing from Janet. 314-399-9646 is the air covered service tax line. The mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. You've got BK and Ferrario here on a Wednesday morning on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, obviously, if there's just one thing, we would go out and address it or fix it. But I think it's a combination of a lot of things. And, you know, clearly we're not where we want to be. We still believe there's a lot of talent in the, in this uh, clubhouse. And, you know, I know Ollie and his staff are working tirelessly to try to find that right combination. But, you know, when you ask the question, what's going on, it's, it's, it's that classic when things aren't going right, it comes down to you're not getting those timely hits. Uh, when you do get good pitching, you're not hitting. When you do get uh, uh, when the when the pitching isn't there, all of a sudden you're hitting, and it's just that's just a bad combination. And uh, you know we know there's some things we've got to address. We got to clean some things up, but I assure you, we're working hard to do it. That was John Mosaloc on Bally Sports Midwest yesterday talking about what is going wrong for this Cardinals team alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, we played before the break the comment from Kerry Davis where he said this morning, every coach that he's ever talked to that has been fired from a job, they all say the same thing. And I agree with him here. If I get another opportunity, I'm doing things my way. I'm going down with the ship the way that I want to coach a team. I agree with him on that. Where I disagree in the way that it is interpreted for this Cardinal situation is with Ollie's way. The reason why I mentioned that, Alex, is because I think that there's something really important getting lost in translation here. And I think it's happening for a lot of fans. And I don't know exactly why this is. This is how Ollie wants to manage. Now, you can disagree with it. You can say it is the wrong way to go about managing a roster, and you may ultimately be proven correct. However, what I do think is an important distinction here is that Ali Marmel wants to play the matchups. He wants to bring in his closer like he did over the weekend in the seventh inning to face the heart of the order. He wants to go about the outfield mix the way where, hey, we've got four guys that can basically play every day. We've got Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado getting opportunities at DH. We've got Wilson Contreras getting opportunities at the DH to get them off of their feet for a day. We've got Brendan Donovan who can play second, third, outfield, wherever you want him to. He can fit in there for you. This is how he has always idealized managing a roster. Now, there might be too many pieces, too many moving parts on this current roster. But the way that he's going about managing this roster, A, it opens himself up for more criticism. And B, he's okay with that. This is when he thought about what does it look like when Ollie Marmol gets his team. Man, that's how he wanted to do it. And so if he's going to go down, if he ends up on the hot seat, this is how he wanted to do it. It's not his second time around. It's his first time. 
And he'll go down with the ship this way if this is the way that ultimately it goes. And this is why when we started off saying, you know, should the should Ali be on the hot seat? People might believe so. The Cardinals aren't going to believe it that way because the Cardinals hired this individual for this reason. Yep. They hired him because he's a matchups guy. He's a guy who does take all of the information and put it into his day-to-day action. And people say, well, they got rid of Schilt. They should have kept him. This was the philosophical differences I would imagine that both sides weren't on the same page with. You don't think the front office wanted to play Carpenter all the time? Probably not. Huh. They probably didn't want to go with that savvy Weird. vet who had the uh, great numbers if he's hitting the ball real hard. But this was Ollie, and it's not working right now. But Ollie's going to continue to push this way because this is the, the way that he deems it successful until somebody steps in. If they do step in and say, we got to trade this guy so that you focus more on these guys. Now, I don't think it's going to be the same that what uh, Mosellac did with Mike Matheny because that was just the point where it's like, we're trading this guy so you can't play him anymore. Yeah. But you might get to the and point. Matheny was actively bad with your bullpen. He made your bullpen worse and you had multiple pitchers that ended up like never pitching again, basically, because he essentially ended their career with usage. Right. Yeah, poor Matt Bowman. You might get to this point where they look at it and say, like, we've got to focus on certain players to get those everyday stretches. But again, this is how the Cardinals view it. And if they want, if they wanted Ollie to be the manager, they wanted this to be the manager of their ball club. I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with what you guys are saying. I, I, I think you're still seeing, though, that Ollie still doesn't have a team around him that is exactly the way that he wants it to be played. And that's where some of the text line is kind of right when they're saying, you know, it's on the front office and putting in this personnel. I mean, Ollie basically said it yesterday before the game and the quotes were in the paper of, yeah, I've got too many outfielders right now. And again, I I do agree. That is part on. That is one thing that does need to change. So that is one thing. I I agree. He wants to play platoons. He wants to play matchups. But I think he does feel kind of handcuffed right now with the outfield in terms of trying to get guys into a rhythm and get them out there playing. I, I think if I think if it were up to Ollie, he would only be platooning one spot in the outfield, not be rotating five guys in and out in that three man outfield. The other thing for me is he he doesn't have the full pitching staff that he wants, and, and he wants swing and miss in the pitching staff. He's getting that in the bullpen. He does not have that in the rotation. That was something that he always preached to us down at the ballpark. Last year, he'd say that to the media. You know, we got to have more swing and miss in our in our rotation, and that's just something he's never had so far since he's been here. So he is trying to go out, go about it his way. Problem is, he doesn't necessarily have the complete tools yet to go about it. In my opinion, I, I think he does though. For he the ha- most part, I yeah. think he has too many. I think he almost has too many tools at his disposal. And part of the problem is like, and we'll talk about this in the twelve o'clock hour. He feels like he needs to use all of the tools because, like Jordan Walker. You can't just have him up here and not play him. So, okay, he's got the last two days off. He's missed three out of the last four games. Part of that is because they don't want him playing in right field in in San Francisco. I would argue, okay, well, then in game one, why didn't you get him that opportunity at DH where you could have, instead of having Paul DeYoung play in that game, you go Gorman, Donovan, and Edmund in your infield, and you've got a, a spot at the DH spot for Jordan Walker in that game. Pretty easy. Feels like you could have made that spot available, but you chose Paul DeYoung over Jordan Walker in that game. They would say, well, he's working on things in the plate. Cool. If you're just then going to say he's working on things at the plate and he's working on things in the outfield, then send him to AAA where it's a developmental league. I'm not telling you that you should do that, but if you're going to use those excuses to not play him regularly, well, then he needs to go down to AAA to be able to get back on track. Alec Burleson, been struggling at the plate lately. We all know he is a, I would say, slightly below average defender. I don't think he's actively bad, but a below average defender. If he's going to be bad at the plate, as well as being below average in the field, well, then send him down to AAA. You've got options right now to say, hey, this is not your fault. It's not going to be an, a full season thing. 
kind of similar to what happened with Gorman and Yepes last year, but let's get you back down to AAA to get you some opportunities down there. Juan Yepes, you're going to come up and be a bench bat for us. Juan Yepes ain't starting in the outfield. We know that because Taylor Motter started over him regularly when he was up the last time. Ollie Marmel is not going to feel pushed to make sure that he gets into the lineup. I do think that's part of what's going on here. There are too many pieces that he feels he needs to get in the lineup on a day-to-day basis. And whoever he chooses right now ends up being the wrong one because those guys end up more often than not failing when he put him in, puts them into the field. I do think there's something that I, I, I can't explain why this is happening, but somebody on the text line said, uh, Hey guys, how do you know that this is the way that he wants to manage? He's a guy who does everything that Mo says. You have no clue. So one person, everybody's saying that Mo meets at two o'clock to set the lineup card with Ali Marmol. It, it's just not true. And how do I know? Because we've asked him. We talked to him about his opening press conference say that this is how he goes about his day to day business. And I didn't believe him. (laughs) Like, to be totally honest with you, I didn't think he was going to be given the latitude to do it. I didn't think that they were going to be willing to actually push into the quote unquote future the way that they have so far. Now, it's had mixed results, I think is fair to say. But I I thought it would be one of those things where, like, he tried to do it and then it didn't end up working. And then somebody else says, Marmol isn't setting the lineup day to day. He's a puppet. The game plan is the puppeteer of what the front office wants to do. And Marmol's mistakes are happening during the game as well. He's not good before the game because that's the front office. And he's not good in the game because he's not qualified to make those moves. Nice. I, if you think he's a puppet of the front office, I will say this. Just if I conceded the point, which I don't, but if I did, the next guy they're going to hire ain't going to be a whole lot different. Like that, That's the truth of the matter. What they brought TLR back. And, in, and suddenly Mike Schilt has become this martyr who everybody thinks would be like the savior of the organization if I he mean, was he brought was, back to St. Louis. I mean, he did win manager of the year. Has Ali Marmol ever done that? I think Mike Schilt was a totally reasonable manager. Hey, guys, where's Mike Schilt managing right now? Just curious, you know, because he's great. And clearly he would be the elixir to uh, all that plagues the Cardinals right now. He's so managing he's in so San great, Diego. He must be managing one hell of a baseball yeah. team right now. I bet you they're undefeated. San Diego. Can you tell me? Can you tell me where he's managing? He's you got anything for me? Un- he's technically undefeated, yeah. He hasn't lost a game. He has since. not lost since the Cardinals it's fired him. It's super weird that he hasn't been hired since getting fired here in St. Louis, right? Since he was such a great manager. Well, maybe that's his decision. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe he decided that, the, you know, he didn't want the game anymore. Maybe he oh, said then he's, he's probably not back in baseball. Then he's taking yeah. a couple of years off. Yeah. He's probably rehabbing his image. And, and he didn't get he's taking some time to himself with his family, right? The end. That's what's going on. Yeah. yeah. He didn't say after he got fired that he wants yeah. to get back into baseball and get another opportunity yeah. elsewhere. He still has that. Happen? He still has that. The Cardinals way book in his back pocket that he's going to use. Listen, I think Mike Schultz was a perfectly solid manager. I do. I, I, I had my differences with him, but I think he's a good manager. He hasn't been hired again for a reason, guys, because stuff did go wrong here. And the Cardinals are too classy as an organization to air out the dirty laundry publicly. That's the truth. And if you think that Ollie Marmol is just some puppet for the organization and that's why everything has gone wrong. Cool. That's fine. The next guy's going to be the same way. I don't believe that to be the case. I do think he has his own autonomy to set the lineup, which is just like the silliest thing of all things to not have the autonomy to do setting the lineup on a day to day basis, which by the way, the analytics side of the team and Michael Gersh told us on the air doesn't matter. 
You think he's getting into the weeds saying, hey, the thing that I don't think matters, that's what I'm going to make I'm, sure I'm setting I'm on a day-to-day basis. I'm still upset at Gersh for that From comment. the 314, boys, the weirdness in today's show has escalated quickly. It really has. Now we are officially at the uh, the puppet and the puppet master moment for the Cardinals this season. Well, I just, I, it, I don't know that you can have it two ways of saying Ollie Marmol is the problem and also say in the same breath, firing Ollie Marmol or Ollie Marmol is a puppet. Because then, if you say firing Ollie Marmol will solve their problems, if he's a puppet, then the next guy replacing him will also probably be a puppet, right? So what changes? Nothing. Nothing changes. Yeah, no. Yeah, you guys want to talk about Ryan Helsley next? I don't know. This has gotten dark in here. so I do have some issues with the Helsley situation. Uh, I would imagine it's probably this, this, the manager's this, fault. This puppet, mm, I, got, I got issues with the way he's using them. <laughs> Ryan Helsley in that last at-bat, I don't know what he was trying to accomplish, and I don't know if it was a Wilson Contreras thing or a Ryan Helsley thing, but we'll try to get to the bottom of it, and Tanner will tell you why he was big mad after that game. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That is what it sounded like as the Cardinals lose on a walk-off home run yesterday. Ryan Helsley finishes the game by throwing four straight breaking balls to Blake Sable, ultimately resulting in that walk-off home run that you just heard there, that audio courtesy of the Giants TV network. Now, Alex, I thought in the moment that it felt like a weird decision to go to four straight breaking balls really to anybody, but especially to Sable. I looked this up last night. I was curious what the numbers were. Sable is batting 125 with a 375 slugging percentage so far against fastballs this year. Turns out Ryan Helsley has a pretty good fastball. In the same sentence, he is batting 310 with a slugging percentage of 540 against breaking pitches. So his batting average is 200 points higher And so is his slugging percentage against breaking pitches than it is against fastballs. And yet he did not see a fastball in that entire at-bat, which resulted in the walk-off home run. Alex, as you were watching that last night, you were watching Ryan Helsley, and uh, that whole inning went to hell because of a bad defensive play, but then it resulted in, of course, the home run. What came through your mind as you're watching that sequence play out? I mean, exactly what you just said. Why are we not seeing fastballs from Ryan Helsley in this position? I mean, when you're throwing 102, 103 miles an hour, it's your best pitch. And if you're Ryan Helsley in that tight of a spot, what got you to the position you were in last year? It was how lethal that fastball was. I was very surprised that those were the pitch selections he was going with, but you know, it's not all on Ryan Helsley. I'm sure a lot of people are probably questioning Wilson Contreras in that spot. The other thought that I had was not to become the Jeff Albert complainer here, but aren't some of those, those signs coming from the pitching coach? Aren't some of those decisions coming from Dusty Blake that's saying, yeah, let's go a little off speed with this guy here because this is going to be our, our successful path. Whereas in that spot, if I'm Ryan Helsley, I'm thinking I'm going to blow the heat by him. Let's see if he can beat me on this pitch. Yeah. I, I found it strange that they went all off speed to him in that scenario because 
I think at some point you have to use a setup pitch, and they never did it. They just went slider, 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 and he said post game, "Hey, I just sat on the slider," and sure enough, Helsley hung one, and he he left a lot kind of up in the middle of the plate throughout his outing last night. I think at some point you have to go to a fastball up in the zone, and I know a lot of people say, oh, "Don't waste pitches." You know, the great pitchers don't do it. I I actually like using a waste pitch because it sets things up. I I was shocked they didn't go fastball up in the zone there just to try and change the eye level a bit, see if you can get him to chase and he hasn't been hitting fastballs all season long, and then go back to the slider if you want to then. But going with it consistently, I mean, it reminded me a lot of the Jordan Hicks situation <laughs> against Pittsburgh where, when they gave up the home run to McCutcheon in uh, uh, the next innings. It was like, okay, at some point we've got to throw something different, right? And he did it. And what McCutcheon do? He was able to foul a couple off. After a while, you get that hanging one, you're able to just send it into left field for a home run. The exact same thing just happened, and it happened with your closer. And I thought Al Herbosky said it best on postgame last night on Bally Sports Midwest. If you're going to get beat, you shouldn't be. Th- you should. You should try and force him to beat you with your best pitch, which is his fastball. Instead, he got kind of cute and went to his slider again, and he got beat by. It. You shouldn't get beat by your secondary pitch there. You need to make sure that they beat you on your best pitch. And he never threw the best pitch. Really, he didn't go to his fastball a lot last night, which was just bizarre. And, and to Alex's question on Dusty Blake, it isn't something that Dusty Blake would give the signals to him in game. It's something that would have had to have been said in meetings of, hey, here's what we're looking at. Here's what we think. We think you should go all off speed, but. Even then, I would still, if I'm Wills Contreras or Ryan Helsley, say, I've got to throw my fastball at some point because this thing's just too electric not to throw just four times in my outing. Yeah, it is. It's worth noting two of the times that he threw it, uh, it ended up in a ball. He didn't have great command on it. It didn't seem like at least. And then the third was the double by um, Stremski, which uh, ended up hurting him as well. There was one that ended up being in for a strike, but... Somebody on the text line mentioned this. I think it's a fair point. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line that it, it seemed like he abandoned the fastball. He, he didn't have great command and He of was it. worried that it was going to get lost. But, I, I mean, unfortunately, in that tight of a spot, you can't pitch scared. I, fair. Um, but we've seen this before where, like, for example, when Jack Flaherty had that outing where he was walking the world, he abandoned his fastball at some point because he knew he couldn't locate it, and yeah. he just had to get out of the outing, right? He just tried to get innings for them. And I think the same thing was happening last night for Helsley, where he was like, hey, I don't have command of my fastball right now. I don't have confidence in it. I'm going to try to get out of this thing with my slider, with my curveball. And it, it ended up obviously not working for him. I would also add this. You mentioned the pitching coach side of things here, and I don't want to place too much emphasis on this, but I do think it's worth noting. Blake Sable has a mind-blowing 65% whiff rate against breaking pitches so far this season. That I don't know this to be true. I haven't looked it up. I it, It's tough to go through all of this, but I would have to imagine if that is not at the top of the league in terms of the worst, it is very close to the top of the league in terms of the, the highest swing and miss rate against breaking pitches so far this year. The underlying numbers for him are really bad against breaking pitches. So this might be one of those scenarios where the Cardinals' internal data tells them something very different than the publicly available data. Their data might have said, hey, attack this guy with breaking pitches. And Katie Wu had this in her story. Blake Sable said that he noticed in his at-bat against Tennessee Cabrera that the Cardinals' plan seemed to be to make San Francisco beat St. Louis on off-speed pitches. Sable did not see any fastballs in his at-bat against Cabrera, which made him sit slider against Helsley. He said, quote, I was sitting slider there. It just happened to go my way. I think this might be a scenario where the stuff that we're looking at is different than the stuff that the Cardinals are looking at. And this is something where you could say reasonably, if you're a numbers hater, 
That's where the numbers nerds are getting it wrong. That's possible. It, it's very possible, and it certainly bit them in that spot. That's what I would say. Stupid analytics. T-Bone, I know you had one other thing, coaching-wise, uh, that frustrated yeah, you when it came to Ryan it, Helsley, because it's not just pitch selection in that spot. It's also that he's pitched, what, twice in twice. the last 12 days? Yeah. He hasn't been utilized very often either. Yeah, and... I, I look at this and I understand where the Cardinals are coming from of, hey, we've got to save them for high leverage situations, but you also got to get them in games because let's just be honest, you're not winning a lot of baseball games right now. And I don't like seeing him just sit in the bullpen and get his work in the bullpen because pitching a bullpen and then going into a game and pitching is completely different. It's just like when you talk about, well, this guy's always great at practice. Well, then why is he sucking games? Like that, it's the same conversation. It's the same conversation of practice is different. Yeah. Practice is different from what is in game action. And I, I don't think Ryan Helsley's been as crisp this season. I didn't think he was all that crisp last night, not just with his fastball. I mean, I just looked at his baseball savant page from his outing last night. He was hanging a lot of sliders in the middle of the zone. So I I have an issue with the way that they're using him in terms of, yes, I understand, you know, we've got to be careful. We've got to save him for when we have safe situations. But you've got to get him work. And and I think they can read the room and go, yeah, we're not playing good baseball, so we're not going to win a lot of games in this stretch. And they won't publicly say that, but – I think you still need to get him work. I, I don't think they should be as precautious as they've been on him. Ollie had another quote in the paper this morning of taking care of Ryan Helsley's arm. Look, I get it, but this guy's already gone through one year of arbitration. They've got to start letting the training wheels off of him. And I'm not saying they need to be pitching him every other day, but they've got to go longer than just two outings and 12-day stretch. To me, that is too long in between his outings. I, I think they're not using him Enough, And I understand being careful and trying to save him for games. And yes, I understand they may use him in a game that they're losing and then they may need him for the following day. But you got Giovanni Gallegos. I mean, you do have another closer. I, I, I prefer to see Helsley more in games, even if they're not winning, because I just think it helps him kind of work out some of the kinks that we've seen from him early on in the year. Can, can I be honest? I'm getting kind of sick of this. Well, they're trying to protect his arm at this point of the season, or we're trying to make sure that fatigue doesn't take over throughout the longevity. I get it, but that tells me that you're planning on making a second-half run to get into the playoffs, and that tells that tells me that you're going to do the exact same crap that you've done the last couple of seasons of get in, wild-card matchup, get bounced, and say, well, we thought we had him this year. Like, I'm kind of done with this. Well, Tyler O'Neill is trying to avoid injury, or Ryan Helsley, we're trying to make sure that arm doesn't fall off, or Jordan Walker, we don't want him to go out there in an unfavorable outfield. As someone who will defend that approach, it's hard for me to do so when Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt were like the prime candidates of hey, if we get them time off their feet early in the season, it will help them in September and October when Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt were basically the reason why you were eliminated from the playoffs. And that's all fine and dandy if you're actually winning baseball games. You're not winning baseball. Well, I'm I'm less about like what's going on right now. I know that's hard to say. People don't want to hear it, but and more about like, hey, when you did this last year and it's results process, I get it. Um, Last year when you tried to get, keep those guys fresh all year long. Goldie went through one of the worst slumps of his career in September, and then in October he fell apart. It's called repetition, and mm-hmm. if they're not getting it, you're going to do And now we're seeing it with everybody on this team right I, now. I will say, I think they did a pretty good job last year of keeping their guys healthy. I think they deserve credit for that, whether it's position players or, more importantly, the uh, pitching side of things. I, I do see your point, though, on Helsley specifically, T-Bone, where there had to have been at some point over the last week another opportunity for him, and they never got it. They never gave him that opportunity. And it it's also one of those things where I would like to see him maybe be a little more aggressive where when they're chasing 
Maybe use Helsley in one of those spots. Like, keep it closer. Don't go to Jordan Hicks when you're down by three. Don't go to Chris Stratton in that spot when you're down by three. If it's the heart of the order, you're down by two. I know it's aggressive, and I know every manager in baseball, trust me, I know it's not my job. I was told that by a former one. <laughs> at yeah, at a certain point in time, when you're in this kind of a situation, which the Cardinals were when I asked that question, I got that, that uh, answer a couple of years ago. You do have to start being a little more aggressive with your best arms because you you have to start racking these games up. Unfortunately, last night they were aggressive and they still ended up losing on a walk off. And I'm glad you mentioned Hicks because I, I forgot to mention this is my point, too. If you're going to have training wheels on Ryan Helsley. All right. So you kind of you sort of eliminate that arm from the bullpen. If you're going to have Hicks just pitching in low leverage situations, you eliminate that arm from your bullpen. You've just taken out two of your arms in your bullpen in some, in some games. Like, you can't operate a bullpen when you're two guys short. And, again, I'm not saying they need to be pitching Ryan Helsley every other day and racking up innings where he's thrown 90 innings in a year. No, but he should not be going just two outings in a 12-day stretch. My opinion, that's just ridiculous. I, you've got to get him more work than that. Coming up in 10 minutes or so, we've got a new weekly guest, and I'm very excited to add him to our roster. We've got John Ditton, the Cardinals beat writer for MLB.com. I am so excited to talk to John because he's been out in San Francisco. He can give us a little bit of the sense of what that clubhouse has been like over the last couple of days. We'll talk to John about everything that's gone wrong with this team coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But coming up next, it's your time to shine. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text slide for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in a little less than 10 minutes, we'll talk to John Ditton, Cardinals beat writer for MLB.com. Want to ask him for his perspective on everything that has gone wrong for the Cardinals. Let's start with this from the 314. Guys, which scenario is closer for the Cardinals? The team turns it around or the team falls apart and people are traded or fired? Which one is more likely this year? Um, I'm going to say... I want to ride the fence on this and say in between it falls apart, but nobody gets fired because I don't think they're going to fire anybody, but I also don't think they're going to turn around. But if I had to lean one way or the other, I would say they'll turn it around because a favorable schedule will at least start going their direction and then guys start hitting a little bit, but it's not going to be turning it around to the sense of like, oh yeah, World Series team. I think it's going to turn around to the sense of, yeah, this was the team we expected them to be, but remember what happened in April. That's going to, that's going to haunt us in the back of our minds. I think I'm going to lean towards they'll turn it around. They've just got too much talent offensively. I, I, I think you're seeing signs. The pitching staff is coming along. I mean, if you get a, your number five starter to go five and a third and give up what, one or two runs like Woodford did last night, you should probably win that game, especially really? when it's a bullpen game on the other side. Huh. Uh, but I, I think they have too much talent offensively, and I feel like I kind of said this about the Blues too, but I I think they have too much talent offensively to not turn it around. And, and I do think May will be that month. I mean, you look at the, their schedule in May, there's some okay opponents, but there's nobody that it's like, holy bleep, we've got to play them. Angels, Detroit, the Cubs, Boston, Milwaukee, the Dodgers, Cincinnati. 
Cleveland, Kansas City. Yeah, like nobody That's in that, your May. Nobody in that really scares me. Maybe well, Cleveland, but they're struggling. San Francisco didn't scare me. Yeah, but... It, that's a fair point. That, that's fair. I mean, Detroit Arizona just beat Seattle, Milwaukee. Same thing. Like, you're going through right now a stretch where you should have been able to not beat up on these teams, yeah. but you should have had a nice, The Pirates didn't scare trip. me going into it. Like, all of these teams that you could sit there and say, sure. like, well, they didn't scare me, you lost to them. See, I, I guess it's just different because I looked at some of these teams and they did scare me going into those series. Arizona scared me because they, they just run like crazy. Uh, Pittsburgh scared me because they're playing well. Nobody on this list in May truly terrifies me so i i think that's the month they turn around if we're at the end of may and they're still kind of scuffling and they just go like 500 in the month of may it will definitely be to where i would change my answer on this frankly question. the way that this team has played every team in major league baseball should scare you yeah i, I mean you're, you're kind of the cupcake right now for other teams i mean the only team in the national league that has more losses than you is colorado at some point you got to look in the mirror and you say beat well, this is who we are so congrats uh from the 314 guys at this point who do you think is going to be selected number two overall and who do you think will take them in the nfl draft i was gonna say major league baseball draft because the cardinals are taken i've just looked it up honeycut that's the projected first overall pick nice i i genuinely last night had my first urge to look up how the Major League Baseball <laughs> draft lottery works. It's the first time. Wow. First time I didn't do that for, for the Blues until, like, I don't know. The, the second, second month of the season. Losing streak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, second overall, I, I don't buy into this Will Levis speculation. I just don't know if Houston's going to trade out. I think Houston's going to Houston it up, and they're going to stay at number two, and they're going to take, uh, I, I think, who's it been projected? The, Ander- the Anderson? Anderson right? or the Tyreek? Yeah, Tyree edge, Wilson. Yeah, one of those of two. Texas Tech. I think Houston's going to Texan it up and take a defensive player at second overall. Yeah, I, I think they're going to go defense, too. I, I think they're going Anderson at number two overall. That seems a guy that's been connected to him. I, I don't think they trade out. For whatever reason, there's not a lot of buzz around that pick in terms of somebody moving up. So I, I'm going to say they trade out. You're going to continue to believe that there is not a, a football team that is this incompetent. I'm, I'm choosing to believe it. They will take a quarterback. I think they're going to shock the world and take Anthony Richardson. I, that, that would be, as of today, my selection for them because they're not dumb enough to punt on the opportunity to take a legitimate franchise quarterback. You clip that for Friday, yeah, T-Bone. You know who you're talking about, right? T-Bone, clip that for Friday. They, they either need to take the quarterback or trade down. You know that if they, they decide to trade down, so be it. Like, that's fine. You could trade down and decide we're going to take... Will Anderson or Jalen Carter or Tyree Wilson, whoever you want, like five, six, seven. Cool. No problem. You cannot do that at number two overall when there are legitimate franchise quarterback opportunities available. You do remember that they traded DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson, right? That's a good point. Coming up next, John Denton, Cardinals beat writer for MLB.com. He's been out there in San Francisco. He's been in the clubhouse after these games. He's talked to Ollie Marmel about his decision making. Let's get a vibe check. What the hell's going on with this Cardinals team? John Ditton tells us next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. None of us can make any sense of this Cardinals team. So we're calling in an expert. John Denton is a Cardinals beat writer for MLB.com. You can and should be following him on Twitter at John Denton five, five, five. And now he's going to be joining us regularly here on 101 ESPN. And we are thrilled to have him now on the 101 ESPN hotline. John, we appreciate the time as always, man. I hope San Francisco, the city is treating you well right now. How are you doing today, man? 
I'm doing great, BK. How are you? We're we're hanging in there. You know, it's it's a little touch and go uh, once once the locker room opens every night. But uh, hey, it's a great city. <laughs> uh, it, it is. It's a fantastic city. It looks like it's a little cold out there, but it's fun nonetheless. Let's start there, John. Uh, we'll get into some of the individual decisions, the individual moments. But you're inside of that clubhouse night tonight, right now on this road trip. What are the vibes like right now around this team? Ex- bring us into the clubhouse with you. What what's the situation right now? You know, BK, uh, after games, players are usually starving. Like, they, they eat at uh, 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon and try not to eat during the game because they're so active and that sort of thing. So first thing they do when they go in the locker room is, is all go to the lunchroom and eat. And last night, walking past that lunchroom, there were probably 15 people in there eating, and there was not a sound being made. Nobody was talking to each other. There were no laughs, no jokes. You know, that was, that was a team that was rattled. They, they thought they had, they had a win last night, a much-needed win. They hit well. They they got good starting pitching. They did you know seven eighths of everything right, and then it went bad at the end. And you know this team keeps getting bitten by the two strike pitch. Uh, you know they're 29th in the league in home runs allowed with two strikes. They're 29th in the league in average allowed with two strikes. And you know Ryan Helsley, a guy who we all know who can throw the ball 104 miles an hour through three straight sliders and. Uh, you know, Blake Sable, the guy who hit the home run, said that he knew earlier in the night that, that Genesis Cabrera hit through him only off-speed pitches. So he was looking off-speed there, and sure enough, he got it and hit it out of the park. So, John, uh, we've been we've been dealing with this all all morning since the start of our show of people looking at it and talking about Alimar Mall and thinking that a lot of this is on him from a manager's perspective and you've seen Ali from the success he had last year to what he's been doing this season and the struggles that they've gone through are you seeing any difference in terms of Alimar Mall as a manager from last year to this season uh you know I, I think Ali's Ali's uh frustrated right now I think he's uh, you know, a little defensive right now in, in post games, and, and that's to be understandable because they're not winning. And you know, we all know the history of sports. Like I, I've covered this professional sports for 28 years now. Should the coach be on the hot seat? Not necessarily, but but if you don't win, that's the case. You know, that's the reality of the job, and he understands that. And there there are going to be arrows thrown his way, and there are going to be questions about his ability. Uh, is he a different manager than he was last year? No, of course not. No, no. And he still has the confidence of the group. But when you don't win, there are going to be pointed questions and there are going to be, you know, there are going to be uh, uh, people wanting answers out of the manager. You know, you can't change all the players. You can change the manager easier. Uh, you know, Ali's the same guy. The group still respects him. It's just, you know, something's got to change. So, John, on that note, I think the Cardinals have too many outfielders in their mix right now. Like, I just think they have too many options, and I I understand what Ollie's trying to do. He's trying to keep all of them fresh. He's trying to get everybody the opportunities while also juggling the fact that he likes getting Nolan Arenado and Wilson Contreras and Paul Goldschmidt a day off per week from their feet, which, again, makes sense, and this is the same approach that he had last year with those infielders. But when you have Nolan Gorman, who has emerged as an everyday player now, and you have Jordan Walker, who needs to get regular opportunities, and you have Alec Burleson, who at least to start out the season had been hitting so well, well, there's a crunch that takes place, and that crunch has happened on Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill for the majority of this season. When you look at their outfield mix and the way that those guys have been utilized, John, do you think they have too many options in the big league club right now? Yeah, you know, Brent, it's it's one of those things where too much can be can be a bad thing sometimes. You know, it's you know if if you get somebody hurt tomorrow or tonight, 
having too having too many outfields would be a good thing, you know. But I, I agree with you. I, I don't think you can keep these guys sufficiently happy. I don't think you can keep them sufficiently uh, in rhythm. Uh, you know, Ollie's has a has a tough job with that. You know, trying to keep five guys. I mean, he said the other day. He said, "Look, I'm not going to sit here and say it's fair for Dylan Carlson to only play a couple times a week. I'm not fair. It's not fair for Tyler O'Neill to to have two good games and then have to sit for the third game. So he understands that you know it, it's not fair. Uh, you know, I, I really think when this team gets ready to deal, they're going to deal one of these outfielders. Uh, that that's a position of strength. Uh, those are guys that are wanted around the league. It's just, if you look, trades don't happen yet. Yeah, nobody's ready to trade yet. Nobody knows exactly what they have with their team yet. You know, you hit that 50-game that mark, 60-game uh, mark, that, that's when teams start looking around and looking to deal. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of teams out there that would like to have one of the Cardinals outfielders. And, uh, you know, I, I think there, there could be some movement in, in, in that area, you know, maybe in the next three to four weeks or so. Is there a scenario, John? We're talking to John Denton, Cardinals beat writer for MLB.com. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. I'm not saying today, maybe not even tomorrow, but by the end of this road uh, road trip, for example, do you think there's a case to be made that I don't know who it's going to be? Maybe you have a name that makes the most sense for them, whether it's Alec Burleson, Jordan Walker, Dylan Carlson. Is there a case to be made that one of those three should be sent down to AAA so they get everyday opportunities to be able to be in the outfield? Yeah, you know, you could make that case, but I just I don't I don't think they're going to do that to this bunch. I mean, none none of the bunch is struggling, you know. Um, the only name I would say, you know, that that you would send down would be Jordan Walker because you want him to play every day. Like, you know, the Cardinals have always said, if, if Jordan Walker comes here to the Cardinals, he's going to play every day. He's got to play every day, and you know, uh, it, it would be Jordan Walker to be sent down. But Jordan's going to be back in the lineup today. He spent a couple days working on his swing. They're trying to get a guy, you know, he has 25 hard hit balls this year. They're trying to get him to stop pounding the ball into the ground. They want him to lift those balls and hit more doubles and, and home runs instead of singles back up to the middle. So he spent the past two days working with uh, with Turner Ward. Um, the one person I, I've kind of worried about all along is Dylan Carlson is still a young, young guy. Like, he's a first-round pick. I worry that this rotation is kind of stunting his growth. You know, it's kind of hard to make an argument for Dylan that he should play more right now because he hadn't hit the ball well. He had two hits last night. But, you know, he's kind of been the guy that's gotten the shaft. And I just wonder, are you taking a guy who, a former first-round pick, very, very talented, are you stunting his growth long-term? But there, there's nothing they can do. When you have five outfielders, you kind of have to go with this rotation thing. But, like I said, if there's movement on the trade market, I think it would definitely be, you know, with a Cardinal outfielder. John, do you feel like there's going to be a breaking point for this team to where they are forced into that position, more so in, in the sense of if the struggles continue leading up to blank, that's when they're going to have to find something to do? Yeah, you know, every team has that. Every team hits that point where, you know, they, where, where you decide, hey, we can't keep going like this, and, and you have to, make a, have to make a move and something like that. Uh, you know, they're they're a resolute clubhouse. You know, you asked me earlier about the, the clubhouse. I mean, everybody in there says, look around at all the all stars they have. Look at the good players they have in that locker room. And you know, they're they're a bunch that still thinks they're going to win the division. They still think they're going to win a bunch of games. Uh, you know, maybe it gets a little tougher every night to, to keep saying that when, when you're not winning. But they still think they're going to win. Uh, is there a, is there a breaking point? There always is. If, you know, if you're not winning. Uh, you know, I, I used to always say winning's, winning's the best deodorant. It covers up a lot of other stink. It covers up a lot of <laughs> other unhappiness and all that. So 
they've got to start winning or or they will hit that breaking point, undoubtedly. undoubtedly. John Din is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Find his work over at cardinals.com and be sure to follow him on Twitter at John Denton 555. John, I, I was looking this up yesterday because it, it feels like one of the issues for this team, and there are many of them. It, it feels like every night it's something new, honestly, but they've allowed nine unearned runs so far this year. They've made nine outs on the bases, including four at home, which is tied for the second most in Major League Baseball. They've blown five saves. It feels like every night there is something, whether it's a booted ball like it has been the last couple of days with Tommy Edmond or a reliever that can't find his best stuff or the struggles with runners in scoring position, a failed rundown attempt, guys getting thrown out on the bases, being too aggressive coming to home, whatever it is, it, it's just one little thing that becomes a huge thing for them in losing these games. How do they get how do they move on from that? How do they, instead of having that, that moment come up, how do they overcome those things? Cause it feels like they haven't been able to do that so far this year. Yeah. You know, early in the season, I, I thought the, the, the hitting was pressing because they were playing from behind because the, they weren't pitching. Now they're pitching a little better and they, the hitting's not there. Um, you know, I, I really think the most disappointing aspect of the season has been the hitting. Uh, we all knew coming into the season they didn't have a stopper. They didn't have a true ace. They didn't have a guy who was going to go out and just mow people down every night. We knew the pitching staff was going to be a, a work in art, a work in progress. I thought their hitting, even on bad nights, they would score two runs, three runs, and then they would have the you know regularly those five, six, seven run nights. Um, the, the hitting, the, the depth coming out of spring training, I thought they were going to be a lineup that could really do damage all over the place. So. You know, if you go out and score six, seven runs a night, that, that that's going to cover up a lot of those little errors. And you're right. You're right. One little error has kind of thrown this bunch off. And, hey, that's baseball. If you're going to be a 100-win team, you don't you don't let those things bother you. You don't let little issues trip the team up. And, and, and they get good performances all over the field. So, you know, right now it does seem like one little mistake is kind of triggering the, you know, the, the dam is breaking and, and, and everything's going going off a cliff. They just got to get out of, you know, get out of this uh, this skid and have everybody play well. They need every facet of the game to be better. John, it's pretty obvious that all of the panic is on the offense, but I am curious from this last time through the rotation and what we've seen in this last stretch with the bullpen. Where's your concern level at with the pitching staff for the Cardinals? I, I think I do think they're better. Uh, you know, there there's still gaping holes in that in that pitching staff. Uh, part of me wants to say, well, you know, Wayno will be back soon. <laughs> Wayno wasn't great yesterday. Uh, you know, the first four batters reached. Uh, he gave up seven hits and, and four and a third yesterday uh, in double A. So, you know, Wayno still got some improvement to do. He wants to up his velocity a little more. We'll see it sharper with his curveball. So, you know, I, I think Wayno will probably be back by the homestand when, when you face the Angels. Uh, Jake Woodford's better, but, you know, he's still a victim of a lot of home runs. Miles Michaelis is one of the worst defenders in the league at, at you know giving up hits with two outs. This pitching staff has to get better at pitching with two strikes. Two strikes like Stephen Matz is going to pitch tonight. Uh, his last game against Seattle, he gave up a double on a one-two pitch right down the middle, and he gave up a home run on an O-two pitch right down the middle. Like the, those little things matter, and you know not grooving a pitch when you're way ahead in the count has been a big deal with this team. So the pitching staff is better. Uh, Jack Flaherty pitched like an ace the other day. He pitched like a stopper. He stopped a losing streak. That's what they need. 
Uh, if, they, if they're going to be a, a good team, Jack Flaherty has to be that ace at the top of the staff. The pitching staff's better. You know, I, I just think if, if, if the pitching staff can be middle of the pack, I think that'll be good for the Cardinals. John, we'll get you out of here on this, and we appreciate the time as always. In the last eight games, the Cardinals are 2-6, and six, and in that stretch, Paul Goldschmidt's batting two fifteen with a six sixty OPS, and Nolan Arenado is batting one fifteen with a two sixty five OPS. Is it as simple as, hey, when those two guys start hitting, and we all know that they will, this is going to look a whole lot different for the Cardinals? Yeah, you know, Brandon, last year during the playoffs, a lot of people pointed fingers at Ryan Helsley and Ollie should have done this, should have done that. I said, look, the two guys in the middle didn't hit last year. Yeah. They didn't hit in the playoffs. If they don't hit this season, they're not going to win. It's as simple as that. Like that's that's usually three and four in the lineup. They're hitting three. They're hitting two and four now. You know, those guys are, are the engine. And, you know, this team, if this team's going to be great, they have to be great. Traditionally, they always are. We know how Nolan Arenado is the most obsessed hitter I've ever seen in my life. Like, he carries a bat home with him at night. Uh, he's always swinging, air swinging, always working on his swing. You know, he was there at 2 o'clock the other day on Monday working on his swing. He's going to get right at some point. Paul, Paul Goldschmidt's going to get right at some point. And then you're going to see a, a totally different looking offense. But, you know, let's face facts. If they hit, they're going to be great. And if they don't hit, the Cardinals aren't going to win. He's John Din. You should be reading his work over on Cardinals.com. You certainly need to be following him on Twitter at John Denton 555. It is an absolute pleasure for us to be able to talk with him regularly this year throughout the Cardinals season. John, we appreciate the time, man. Enjoy yourself out in San Francisco and then in L.A. And we'll talk with you again next week. All right, you guys keep up the good work. Take care. Absolutely. That's John Denton, one of the best, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Genuinely appreciate him giving us some time today out in San Francisco. I think that last part, Alex, of what we talked about there is maybe the most important. The Cardinals offense is tied into two future Hall of Famers. Their really identity as a team is tied into two future Hall of Famers, Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. And last year, when the Cardinals were playing their best, It was in part because Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt were playing their best. They were two MVP candidates. They finished uh, one and three in the MVP voting last year. When they struggled down the stretch specifically, it was because Paul Goldschmidt went into one of the worst stretches we've ever seen from him. And then suddenly in the playoffs, Nolan Arenado couldn't buy a hit despite the fact that he was hitting the hell out of the ball in terms of the hard hit rate stuff. It just wasn't dropping for him. And they end up losing this year. When the Cardinals have struggled, it has been in large part because those two guys aren't hitting again. So as much as we want to talk about it, and it's all fair, the pitching, the defense, the base running, managing decisions, all of these different things. If Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt start playing like MVP candidates the way that we all expected them to again at some point, that's the quickest fix for this team. And that at least buys them some time for everything else to get up to par. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that, it's pretty obvious that that's the key to unlocking this team's success. But as much as you can point to that and say that's how they win, that's how they lose. Yeah. And if you don't got other guys competing, and I think the most but telling that's the case for any team, right? right? Like, hey, the Brewers, how do they win? Well, they win because Woodruff and Burns the are two Braves, of the best pitchers in baseball. If they don't have Ronald Acuna Jr. hitting, they or Austin Riley hitting, they've got five other guys that are going to perform for them. And that's the that was the more telling quote from John Denton for me was 
you might be stunting the growth of a Dylan Carlson right now. You might be stunting the growth of a Jordan Walker if you're not using him on a daily basis over trying to hit this rotation. And this is what we talked about yesterday. At some point, you're going to have to get these secondary pieces to be a contributing piece to this team's success and not rely solely on Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. And you're not going to get that if you continue to have a revolving door. Real quick, T-Bone, from the 3-1-4. The thing that's different about this year and last is that Pujols and Molina were there in the second half when Goldie sputtered. First of all, Molina did not nothing offensively to help them when he spotted uh, your daily BK bash on Yadi or Molina. No, listen, like if you want to talk about Yadi and what he brought to them defensively and as a game caller and all leadership, all that stuff, I'm, I'm here to listen to it. But if you're going to tell me that he was a reason why they were good offensively last he got year, hot for like a week, get out that of here was with it. that. That's nonsense. Um, what I will say though, is that Nolan Gorman is that guy this year. Like the, the production you lost last season from Albert Pujols when this team was good, it's being replaced to the same degree almost this year by Nolan Gorman. So they've got that third bad. They're missing their one and two. The problem with this team right now is the closer that was great last year is not closing well this year. The starting pitcher that was the, the number one for them last year by the end of the season, Jose Quintana, you haven't replaced him so far this year. The guys that were two one two best hitters in your lineup last year, they aren't hitting like your best hitters in the lineup this year. So that that top-end talent, it's got to play like it, or you're not going to be able to, to to start winning. Yeah, and the thing that really stands out to me, because you know I'm a big slug, baby slug guy, Goldie and Arnott, they're just not hitting for any sort of power. I mean, it's one thing to hit and get on base, but they're they're not doing damage when they come up to the plate. I, I went back and looked at this, and this has caught my attention since back on Monday. Since September 1st of last year, Goldschmidt, 409 slugging percentage. That would rank ninth between players that were on the team last year and this year. Uh, Nolan Arnato, 358 slugging percentage, which would be 12th. That's behind Brendan Donovan, who had Oof. a power surge of like two games earlier this year, and that power has disappeared. All right, and he P. didn't, and he didn't, and he didn't hit for power Remember in September Remember we were all either. excited about his potential 15 home runs? Yeah, the the fact that those guys' slugging percentage is that low in from all the way back in September of last year, it explains the playoff exit, and it explains the early season struggles for the St. Louis Cardinals. They've got to start hitting for damage, and I think they will. Once they start hitting for damage, you're going to see this team turn things around, and they will end up getting back on track, at least offensively. I don't know if that will help the pitching staff or not, but they will at least fix the offense then. Coming up next, we'll play a game of more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely. 3 one 4 3 9 9 9 6 4 6 here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's More Likely to Happen. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. Alex, I'm going to start with an NFL draft more likely to happen. Well, that's for you. not allowed. We should be start with baseball more likely to select a quarterback in the top 10. The Detroit Lions or the Houston Texans Detroit Lions. I don't, I, I don't believe Houston is going to select a quarterback. And if they do, it's going to be later in the draft, and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, we're, we think he'll be there. Or they're going to back um, Hooker at 12. Yeah, that. Or they're going to back Davis Mills and say he's our guy, which that's going to be embarrassing if they go that route. I, I saw, I forgot whose mock draft it was, but I saw somebody saying Detroit takes CJ Stroud. 
And I'm starting to believe that that is a real possibility. If nobody takes him prior to, what is it, sixth for Detroit, mm-hmm. Detroit snags him and says, next year, he's going to be our guy. I think I'm going to go more likely to Detroit, too. I, wow. I, I don't think the Texans are drafting a quarterback. I, I know you said uh, earlier, you said, you know, the, they can't be this incompetent. Not no, they can. Right. No, they can. Yeah, they're definitely that kind of organization. So I, I think it is more likely it's Detroit. I, I I don't think they move up to get them, but I think it's if one of those guys they like on their draft board drops to six, they end up taking them. Uh, I Obviously, as I said earlier today, I still believe Houston is going to take a quarterback. I don't believe any of this hype that they're completely out on it. So I'm going to say more likely that Houston it's funny ends up taking cr- a quarterback in the top 10. Even if they don't do it at two, I think they trade up from 12 to get back into the top 10 to be able to select a quarterback. I just I refuse to believe that this is a team that has Davis Mills as their quarterback. And they're saying, mm, no, nah, we're good. We're not going to draft any of these guys. We think that we're going to get somebody better. I I start for Caleb Williams, man. I guess maybe that's their plan. Alex, what do you have for more likely to happen? Guys, more likely to happen. The first big trade that is made is by John Mozalak or Doug Armstrong. I'm going to go Mo. I I do think the Cardinals make a trade of significance this year because you're not trading one of these outfielders, which I believe that they will, without making a big move. Like any of these, any of these outfielders being dealt means that you are acquiring somebody of significance, and it's it would be the start of what is a big acquisition. So yeah, I, I think that it's. I, I think I'm saying that it's Mo. When when's the draft again? It's in June, right? June twenty eighth. Mm-hmm. You're starting to toe the line of where I'm thinking. I'm thinking more likely Army. I Mo historically does not make big moves early. He always does that. Well, the market's not right, and, and then he makes a trade. And it's like, well, wait, you could have pulled off a John Lester trade probably before. Uh, could have pulled the John Lester off in May. Uh, I, I think it might be Army. I, I could see Army wheeling and dealing at the NHL draft. I, I think if Mo's making a move, at minimum, it's going to be early July, and I typically would lean towards he's probably not going to do it until they get closer to the deadline. So that's where I'm at too. I, I don't think Mo makes a move, and I know John said that like you, you kind of hit a breaking point if you have to make a move. I don't think that move happens until the trade deadline with Mo, and by then I, I believe Doug's already going to make a couple of significant moves. I think he makes one before we even get to the draft, and then of course I think he makes something at the draft. So my more likely to happen kind of dealt with tr- the trade deadline too. More likely to happen the Cardinals trading outfielder for a top end reliever or for a top end starter. For the Cardinals, I think it's more likely that they end up trading for a top-end reliever. I I could see them doing another move similar to when they got Giovanni Gallegos. Luke We've said Foyt. this a couple of times. Luke Foyt wasn't a like top 100 prospect, but he was a good player at the time. People thought he could be at what he's been, basically. And he netted you a eighth-inning reliever, a closer at the time, with multiple years of um, control remaining. I think it's more likely they get that back end reliever for one of their bull or one of their current outfielders. That's where I'm at. Also, I, I think you'll see and and the one that I think it might be is Tyler O'Neill. I think you'll see Tyler O'Neill flipped for a high end reliever compared to a starting. I just don't see the starting pitcher happening. I, I see them probably looking at their group and saying, yeah, these guys are good and we'll re-sign whether it's Jack Flaherty or Jordan Montgomery and then say we've had a lot of young guys coming up and not do anything. What do you think the reaction would be if they traded Tyler O'Neill for a reliever? 
depends on who the reliever is. If, if they're if they're yeah. really good, like they end up being Giovanni Gallegos for the Cardinals. I think I think fans would be happy with okay. that. I mean, I don't see a lot. Maybe I'm wrong here, but I don't see a lot of fans clamoring. We should still have Luke Voigt. Um, yeah, but Tyler. They were. Yeah, they were. They were and I believe but, people will look at the Tyler O'Neill trade and compare it to Randy or Rosarena and Adolis Garcia. And the immediate reaction, unless it's like a legit name, is going to be oh, another guy that's going to make the Cardinals pay. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with you guys. I think it's more likely it would be a reliever because I think if they're getting the starter, it just looks tougher and tougher to where that guy's going to come from. And I think they're going to do it in the offseason. Um, I, I think they're going to do either what you guys said, the guy goes for Voight one, or they'll do kind of what they did. And I know there was more pieces involved, but what they did in 11 with Rasmus, where it was trade him. And instead right. of getting like one top end reliever, you get two like middle relief guys that can help with like matchups. Like they got Zemchinski and I don't tell. Dotel. Yeah, they got those guys in that, that deal. I think that's what they can Scrabble. do. Scrabble. Out of curiosity, I know that this is the one that we always go back to, but I think it's important to do so. How much of the Cardinals' issues over the last few years change if they simply never made the Liberator for a Rosarena trade? I don't know if you guys have seen, but Randy Rosarena yeah. is He's great. He's incredible. Batting 350 this season with an OPS of 1,000. He already has four doubles, five home runs, and 25 RPIs See, in the first 23 games of the season. I I, I don't think that's the Randy Rosarena in St. Louis. I, I And I know people will say, like, oh, look at his numbers. I don't know if Randy Rosarena ever gets to be that player in St. Louis because I do, and, and I know it might be pushback on this, but I do think there's a, a buttoned-up mentality with the Cardinals, and I think Randy Rosa is just kind of loose right now with Tampa Bay. He gets to be who he is. And I think that matters for a player to finding his potential. I don't think this is the Randy Rose arena you're seeing if he is still a St. Louis Cardinal. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. And that's, I don't know if he ends up becoming that guy here in St. Louis. Why? Because there's more pressure on him to become that guy. And in Tampa Bay, there's no pressure. Yeah. I mean, Tommy Pham said it like, there's nobody here when he was a Tampa Bay Ray. And, and you can kind of just go be yourself. I, I don't know so much about the swagger part playing into it, because I think I agree with you at the time when they made the move, it felt very much like, oh, he made a video of a shield. Get him out of here. I don't think that's the case anymore because Lars plays with some swagger. As we've seen, Contreras plays with some swagger. I think that's really loosened up since he got dealt. But I, I loosened up since Ollie Marmol has taken over yeah, as manager. Yeah, that too. Uh, I, I, I just don't know if he becomes that him. guy. I, I don't think he becomes that guy here in St. Louis. I just think there's too much pressure. I, I don't know how he would have handled it here in St. Louis. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. We've got a question for you that we brought up off air earlier today. But coming up next, the Cardinals are not making other teams earn it. And we'll explain that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. start making other teams earn it and I think that's what's most frustrating about what we're watching right now alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. it's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN it's one thing to lose it's another thing to hand the game to opponents I heard Danny Mack talking with the fast lane yesterday here's what he had to say about the issue that they've had specifically on the defensive side of things so they made eight errors and that's fifth fewest in baseball but those eight errors have turned into nine unearned runs. Mm-hmm. So when they've committed the error, it's been costly. This is a good defensive team. I mean, it should be very good. It should be elite on the infield. You know the guys are going to make errors. It's a, you know, they're human beings. It's going to happen. But it's been glaring at the times when they had. 
they have not made many errors at all this season. The Cardinals are at the, towards the bottom of the league when it comes to errors so far this year, even after last night. And yet, they're toward the top of the league in unearned runs. Dan is absolutely correct on this. When this team makes a mistake, it comes back to bite them. It feels like 100% of the time. Like I don't know how you guys felt, but when I saw that play from Tommy Edmond where he boots the ball, I knew what was coming next. I knew they were about to melt down. Oh, it was before that for me. Dylan Carlson, that ball that he bobbled in the outfield, that was where it was like, yep, there it goes. Every time they make a mistake, it doesn't just cost them. It snowballs on them. And this is where we get to the little things become big things. And then it becomes like you you, you zoom out and get to the 10,000-foot view of the season. And you're like, man, that's really the story of what's gone wrong. One little thing, they can't get over it. Whether it's an event in a game or the start of a series or as John Denton was talking to us about, their two strikes. They're one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball when they've got two strikes. They're also one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball when they've got two outs as a pitching staff. And when they're hitting in critical situations, specifically with the bases loaded, they are horrendous in those spots. This team just can't get over that hump. And even when they play mostly a good game, like last night, there is one thing that goes wrong that ends up being a critical mistake, and it is too much for them to be able to overcome. I just I feel like teams don't fear the Cardinals right now because of all of these little things, whether it's, you know, something's going to go in your favor, or you know you're going to get that uh, that opportunity to jump back into the game. You like, you know how we felt last season with the blues where it was like, they're never out of a game. I was about to say the same thing was true of the Cardinals late in the season or during that 17 game winning streak where it was like, I don't know what's happened. I don't care what's happened. I'm going to yeah. turn on the game in the ninth inning with the belief that the Cardinals find a way to win this. It's one. the polar opposite of it. Now, hundred percent. I, I believe teams view the Cardinals. And, and I said it earlier where it's like, they kind of are the cupcake. I view like the San Francisco giants last night when the Cardinals took the lead, it just if I'm a Giants fan, I'm thinking we're still in this game because that's how the Cardinals have played, whether it's going to be a misplay like that Alec Burleson jump in left field. I thought that one was going to get real ugly for them, but he made the play. And of course, that's that's good for him. But teams don't fear the Cardinals right now. And maybe that's just because the offense is going through this slump and you get out of it. And then you start to get a little bit more fear in yourself when you're in the batter's box or when you're going up against this team. But Right now, on the pitching side of things, it feels like everybody knows they're in a game. On the bullpen side of things, late in game, it just depends on who comes out of that bullpen. And if you're a batter against them, you're thinking, I got an opportunity. And then when it comes to their offense, they're just not a fearsome team right now. Yeah, I don't think they strike fear into you at all. And to your guys' point, I mean, when they had that air with Tommy Edmond yesterday, I said, oh boy, I said that in the group text. Because I could just tell it's coming. And you shouldn't have that feeling with this Cardinal step, especially when you have all-star closer in the game. I mean, yes, he hasn't been as effective this year as he was last year, but you still should have the feeling of, okay, this game is over. And I felt like the team as a whole was just walking on glass in that ninth inning. I, I felt that early in the game. I mean, early on you had the air that you mentioned with Dylan Carlson out there in the outfield after Contreras throws it away. And then you also had a moment, I think twice in that game, where Edmund does like a spin move and throws the ball away and a runner gets on base. Like, it is just not crisp baseball right now. And they also don't, to your point on the offense, they don't they don't have an ability to finish anybody. And, and look, I'm not saying they needed to put up 10 runs in that inning last night in the eighth. But even you knew four, you felt a two-run lead wasn't good enough for this team. And, and again, it, should, it shouldn't feel that way. For whatever reason, they were just playing 
tight right now. They they can't seem to they need a game where they get a blowout win. That that's really all they need. They need a blowout win to just kind of relax everybody and hopefully turn things around because I bet you tonight San Francisco they're going to go into it. Maybe Matt's pitch as well, and they're going to go into it, and they're just going to say, we're just waiting for that one break, that one mistake they make, and we'll know we'll pounce on it. See, I don't think it's a one game. They can they can win tonight in a blowout fashion, and I don't think it's one game. I think this team needs to string together two or three games in a row so that they can start believing in themselves because they've had the one game, not the blowout, but they've had the game where you're thinking, yep, that was it, and then they followed it up with a underwhelming performance. They need a stretch of games. <laughs> so I am victim of this just as everybody else is of recently a lot a few of the games have been decided by a very slim margin right it feels like they, they've been playing close games i mean you just look at the last five for example five to two five four seven three four oh five four they, they felt close for most of those games do you know how many games have been determined for the cardinals this year by two runs or less in either way either direction two runs or less so close games one way or the other hold on this is a bk game so let's think about this for a minute Three? Uh, it's got to be more than that. More? Uh, yeah, I feel like they've been like every game. I'm going to go ten. Two. Five. Uh, it was close. Five games See? this year. And do you know what their record is in those games? Where a game, The game has been determined by two runs or one run, basically. Three two and two. Yeah, I'll go two and three. One and four. <laughs> one and four so far funny, this Tanner. year in games decided by two runs or less. The reason why I bring that up is because... T-Bone, you mentioned earlier today they haven't been using Ryan Helsley a whole lot. Well, part of that is because of this, because you're not playing close games. So the games that you're winning, you're typically winning by four runs or more when you get to the late inning. So it's not necessarily a close situation in a lot of these. Now, they haven't done a lot of winning lately, so that's been the yeah, real issue go back for them. to the uh, Arizona Car- uh, Diamondbacks game. But even when they've been losing... They're losing by three runs or more most of the time. These aren't games where you're like, oh, man, it's a late inning. Typically, I wouldn't use Geo or Helsley here, but man, we're down by one run. We've got the heart of the order coming up. Let's keep it here. Let's use our, our big guns here to, to make sure that this stays close. No, it's been like you're down four to nothing in the eighth inning or you're down five to one or you're down uh, in, in some of these games, six to one, four to nothing, four to one, eight to four. It feels like all of these games are kind of determined. So that's part of this as well. And it goes back to you're giving up too many easy runs, nine unearned runs this season. You have been thrown out nine times on the bases. You've been thrown out at home four times so so far this year you've blown five saves it's just weird stuff that is leading to them not making the other team earn it make it hard man make it hard for them start running a little bit more on the bases put pressure on the other team because it right now it feels like the pressure is exclusively on the cardinals in every game every out feels hard Every run feels like you're scratching something across. Burleson tried to bunt again last night to move a runner over. Hey, he's showing that he's got multiple tools. And technically, I guess it worked. My wife knew that wasn't going to (laughs) work. Carol looked over at me, and I'm not kidding. She literally says, I texted you guys when it happened. She said, why did that guy think he was going to get a hit on that? I don't know. I can't explain it. You know the moment that it felt like, yep, that's how the season's going. Uh, what was it? It was the guy at fr- Carlson at first base, and Brendan Donovan hits a liner to uh, Villar, and he gets it and doubles off Dylan Carlson. Is like, yeah, that's, that's the, the Cardinals season. Right now. It's the way that it's going. Coming up next, we'll dive into the junk drawer with an Alex Ferrario story here on 101 ESPN. We're 
right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So... I, I can't believe what we're about to talk about. We were having a conversation off the air. sure we can talk about this? Yeah. Okay. This is on BK. What, what I questioned it, it. What brought this up? How did we get into... Uh, T-Bone was talking about Mark DeRosa talking versus, about a bar of right. soap. Yeah. So explain, Which explain yourself. Explain uh, what was going on with Mark DeRosa <laughs> and yeah, a bar of soap. Yeah, so they were doing a segment on MLB Central about things they don't like. And, and D-Row, first off, he said he hates when people correct him on grammar. Brandon. Um, happens <laughs> well, all the time well, to this guy. Learn how to Tanner type Hendrickson. in there. Tanner Hendrickson has never once guessed correctly on the right version of there. I like how you said guess because that's what he does every time he has to use it. He will use a different one every time, and you might be saying to yourself, well, eventually he's got to be right. Nope, nope, he's always (laughs) wrong. Incorrect. And you would think eventually BK would quit correcting me, but nope, I always get a text. I I genuinely at this point feel bad by correcting him. Because it happens so many times. Well, I, we're trying I to feel teach like you. eventually Tanner's going to get you know, it right. He's, no, he's never no. done it. We're trying to teach you. Uh, but anyway, so then Drew Sauce mentioned, you know, he hates at hotels how they don't have bar soap, how they just have kind of the body wash. And he, he said he always has to go to a store and buy bar soap. So that's, that's how we got trash. onto the conversation about bar soap. Which and nobody, I'll let you guys take over from Nobody there. freaking uses bar soap. That's where I'm at. Nobody. Are people still using bars of soap? No. It's yes. dumb. Apparently, our boss, Mike Ryder, does. Yeah. And he even uses it to the point where he, like, doesn't have a wash rag or anything. He just takes the bar of soap and cleans himself. Yeah. And that's not that's not the right way to go about it. Yes, it is. I, I mean, it, you I can do it. it. I, wash your body however no, you want because to. Just there are, wash your body. There are parts of your body that have to be cleaned with a loofah. Like, well, I'm just going to be blunt right now. The buttocks area. Yeah. And how do you know about that, Alex? Internally, that's an area that cannot be washed with your hand. I think we were getting there. Uh, How do you go about doing that? A loofah. I have a (laughs) designated loofah for I have a designated booty loofah. Booty loofah. Huh. And it is solely for the booty. There are two loofahs in the shower. One is for your body. The other is for your booty. Have you ever heard about anybody using this before? Well, I thought you you guys are all. I thought your next question was, have you ever mixed up the loofahs? No, 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 because there's two. They're two opposite sides of the shower. The colors, different colors, but the body loofahs are hung next to my wife's. So like she's got one and I've got one. The booty loofah is hung next to the body wash on the shelf. And I don't mix those up. You just you can't. You can't use a bar of soap so because you're using thing. your hand, and that's disgusting. I want to knock you for this. It's genius. You can't knock me it's for it. It's one of the smartest things I've ever heard <laughs> it's, you say. It's, it's <laughs> genius. I didn't know this was a thing that people do, and I'm still not convinced that it is. Probably not. A lot it of people might are, just be an Alex thing. Probably or people are saying that they're grossed out by it. I didn't know that you, not that you could do this, I didn't know that it's a thing that anybody did. And now I'm thinking about going ahead and adding this to my daily routine. Just saying, like, it's an area that should be cleaned 
daily when you shower. Sure, makes sense. And like, if you're gonna use the bar of soap, or somebody's bringing up the wash rag, here's the thing about the wash rag with the bar of soap: it doesn't get the suds properly that a loofah with body wash gets. See, that's where I'm at. I have arrived at a place in my life where I exclusively use body wash. Body wash with the loofah because you need the proper ratio of suds to clean. Somebody says loofahs carry much more bacteria. You're correct, sir or ma'am. And that's why I. I use them weekly. Alex spends $500 a month on his loofah. He's always coming in here talking about his budget being messed up. We know why. It's because of his loofah. No, no. Look, Costco Costco has a hell of a deal. You could buy a bundle of like 20 loofahs for five bucks. Yeah. Every time that Alex goes into the shower, he brings a few things with him. He brings a shower cap. He's bringing his his rubber ducky and and he's bringing his new loofah with him. That's Alex Ferrario's way to go about it. I always wondered why he wasn't comfortable Look, coming to the Airbnbs with us. Now I get it. There's no loofah. I, I buy Makes the Makes sense. I, uh, I, or did you bring a loofah? We didn't know it. You'll never know. I that's, bring a loofah everywhere a, I go. That's a secret. To, I'm going to the drafts tomorrow in KC. Yeah. I will be bringing a loofah with me. See, this is this is an argument that I don't just agree with. From the 636, whoa, a loofah is for women. First of all, no, it is not. Second of all, a loofah is a genius item that was created to properly clean yourself elsewhere. Also, that is a unisex cleaning item. Hey, man. At this point, if you thought that I wasn't using a loofah, that's a you problem. Y'all know that I'm not out here using bodied bar of soap. Yeah, and no from the I am. and no from the five seven three. It's I don't use the booty loofah because I don't wipe properly. I do. I just have to make sure it's clean. Alex has a bidet in every room in his house. Dude, it's true. I've been I, there. Bidet, bidets frighten me. Really? I have not used one. They frighten me. I've heard it's delightful. I, Coming I, up next, the Cardinals are sense. getting all the negatives, but none of the positives out of a home run boom that's taking place across Major League Baseball right now. We'll talk about it next year on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. High drive. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So Major League Baseball is having a home run boom. That was one that we saw last night. It was boomed right off the bat as the Cardinals. There's a lot of Cardinals that are leaning into the boom. Yeah, not good. That audio courtesy of the Giants TV network. Alex, in the first 340 games of 2022, there were 611 home runs in Major League Baseball. In the same stretch of time this year, there have been 782 home runs. <laughs> Well, good thing the Cardinals are hitting a lot of home runs. That is a 25% increase year over year in the same stretch of time. 170 more home runs have been hit at this this point this year than did at this point last year. Guys, at the same time, I don't feel like the Cardinals are taking advantage of that. Gorman has. He's got six home runs on the season. Tommy Edmond is surprisingly second on the team with four home runs. And then the Cardinals almost feel like the Blues from this year where it's like, yeah, they've got a lot of guys that are contributing a little, but not enough to where it's like the 920 goal scorers from a year ago. They've got eight players, the Cardinals do, with two home runs this season. Eight of them. Alex, when I look at what's gone wrong for the Cardinals this year, 
their pitching has been hit hard with the home run ball, especially Jake Woodford, who it feels like every game he pitches so well. And then suddenly he allows a walk or something or a hard hit single. And then boom, 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 three big slams go in the other direction. That happened again for him last Sounds night. Sounds like a Miles Michaelis big one. Yeah. Why is it that the Cardinals are getting all the negatives but none of the positives out of this home run boom? Why does it feel that way? I, I have no idea other than, I mean, you're not getting the the offense from your team because if if Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado were sitting in a spot that wasn't two home runs, if they were sitting somewhere in between Gorman and Edmund, then I don't know if we'd be talking as much about the pitchers giving up the home runs because at least you're contributing into that sense. But you're not hitting any, and the other teams are beating you because they're hitting the home runs off of you. And I, I think the more alarming part is the guys that they're hitting them off of. It's the Miles Michaelises. It's the Steven Matz. Not so much the Jake Woodfords because, I mean, Jake's... No the weird thing is Jake Woodford never had a home run problem prior to this season. He had other issues. <laughs> he couldn't strike anybody issues. out. Uh, he didn't have the greatest stuff on the team. Didn't but have command. Uh, yeah, he, he actually did not have a home run issue. And then this year, he's his biggest issue has been the home run. But I, honestly, like I set him aside. The bigger sure. issue is the fact that the two guys that you were relying heavy upon. And when it comes to this rotation, miles, Michaelis and Steven Matz have been the beneficiary of all of these home runs being hit. That's why I had my purge yesterday on miles. Michaelis. Yeah. I, I, I think if yes, Michaelis and Matz are giving up the home run ball. <laughs> and and I, I don't know if that's going to change. Cause we've seen Michaelis had a home run issue back in, I think it was 2019. It was the year after he, he won the, the or was in the Cy Young conversation. Uh, because he gave up a ton of home runs in that year. That's why his ERA ballooned up into the fours. And, and maybe that's going to be one of those years. But I, I don't think he'll be, and famous last word, I don't think he'll be as bad as he has been mm. early on in the Sorry, year. BK. I, I think Matt's at some point is going to get this figured out to where he's getting the ball back on the ground and not giving up home runs. But I think it does stand out a lot right now because the Cardinals aren't hitting for homer and power. It reminds me a lot of last year. Remember last year going into the year, we kept saying we'd get questions on better to forget it or believe it or not, totally different segments. And it would be, it would be questions of, Hey, do you, do you think the Cardinals could have four or five guys hit 20 plus home runs? And the answer was always, yeah. I mean, you look at this roster, of course they will. And they didn't really get there. And, and I think I'm seeing the same issues this year of going or not, or just are not hitting for power a trend that's continued since back in last September. Uh, Contreras has not hit for a ton of power either in terms of hitting home runs. And then also you got guys like Tyler O'Neill who kind of lost at the plate. They're not, they're swinging and missing a lot. So I, I think the pitching really stands out because the offense isn't doing the damage that we expect, but I do think the pitching will kind of revert back to not giving up as many home runs because I, I don't see Michaels giving up the home runs that he's on pace for. Same with Steven Matz. So major league baseball's average home run per fly ball rate is 10%. So 10% of the time when the ball is hit in the air, it ends up going out of the yard for a home run. Do you know what it is for Jake Woodford on the season? It's got to be like 25%. 30. It is 30%, which is tied for the league high so far this year. So to give that a little bit of context, famous last words, once again, that's unsustainable. That's not going to continue. That's going to get fixed. Unfortunately, it's probably going to get fixed when he's either in AAA or um, in your bullpen. Miles Michaelis is at 20%, which is still up there in the top 20 this year. Steven Matz is at 25%, which is eighth highest rate in Major League Baseball this year. If you want some optimism on the Cardinals starting rotation, it is probably that. It is probably the Cardinals starters are getting an unreasonably high number of fly balls that are leaving the yard, especially given where they pitch. Bush Stadium is a 
pitchers friendly park. And for them to be giving up this many home runs so far this year, home or road, that is something that I do think is going to get better over time. So I, I think that's going to get better. They also need guys like Goldie and Arenado and Walker and some of these other high power hitters, Tyler O'Neill, to start hitting the ball a little harder, to more often put the ball out of the yard. That's the easiest way to get yourself back on track. It's just by slugging baby slug. T-Bone said it, and it's absolutely true. All right. Speaking of the pitching, guys, I think it's time. I know we have waited long enough. T-Bone three. No. God, um, no. Ferrari five, five. T-Bone hit the open. It has been too long since we've given a fresh update to the Cardinals bullpen circle of trust. Ah! Who do you trust? Who do you trust? Tell me who do you trust? It's the Cardinals circle of trust with BK and Ferrario. The last time that we did this was three weeks ago to the day. Our circle of trust was Ryan Helsley, Giovanni Gallegos, and Zach Thompson. Those were the three really? pitchers that we had. We didn't have enough information at the time. I thought we put in Verhagen. I did we too. didn't. Oh, well, we good. did not have enough time or enough um, oh, good. This won't be information. We at don't the time. have to take a shirt. Back. Yeah, because I was going to take a shirt away from him today. So here's the question. Would you like to remove any of those pitchers from the Cardinals bullpen. Uh, yes, Mr. Hendrickson. Trust. Yes, I would like to remove somebody. Mr. It's, Bone. It's not a <laughs> comfortable feeling. Um, I would like to remove Ryan Helsley. Okay, I'm nixing that one. I do not trust him right now. Um, looking at his numbers, I went back and looked. So his strikeout percentage down, walk percentage up. Uh, I, I don't have faith in him right now. His ERA is low, but that's just because they've been unearned runs. So I, I have lost my faith in Ryan Helsley. I think he'll get back to form, but right now I do not trust him. Are, are, are you not trusting him because of the pitch decisions that he's using or the pitches that he's using? I think it's all, all, all around. I thought last night was more telling than Ryan Helsley of like, you're just not comfortable with your best pitch. I, I think it's all around. I, I think he's gone more to the slider and when he has been pitching, I don't think he's been as effective for whatever his, reason he's getting hit his hard hit percentage is up too it's not it's actually at the exact same rate as it was last year in fact it get is your stats right sir i am looking at what it was hard at hit percentage 39.2 last year 41.7 this year courtesy of baseball reference relative to major league baseball it's actually better it's in the 39th percentile this year hey, hey. in the 37th percentile last God year God the percentile change, not the actual number. Yeah, well, I'm nixing this one. Um, I'm nixing it as well. Bro. Every underlying number says, hey, Ryan Helsley's really good. He's the exact same pitcher that he was last year. He's getting a little bit unlucky, and this is going to start getting better. He needs to stop allowing these big-time home runs against him. If he does that, and it's happened like twice, I think he's going to be fine. I'm nixing your suggestion that Ryan Helsley should be booted from the Cardinal circle of trust for two bad games so far this year. I am nixing that also. So Tanner, take that out of here with Gallegos or Thompson. Are you guys still good with both of them? Gallegos has not allowed a run this year. Yeah. I didn't want to go to him in the eighth inning last night because of the other player. I thought they should have gone to Thompson. They were going up against a bunch of lefties. It did get a little bit adventurous there. I'm not going to say anything more. Just that T-bone was wrong. Um, Hey, again, scoreless. Would you like to nominate? anybody else to be included in the Cardinals bullpen circle of trust. Indeed. Mr. Bone. Yes, I'd like to nominate somebody. 
I'd like to nominate another lefty that I gave up on too soon. Jojo Romero, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the circle. No, no way in hell. Not yet. <laughs> uh, Henesis Cabrera. Yep. That's Guys, mine. He has learned to pitch without fastball velocity. He is back. And Let's be honest. Ollie didn't think that was possible either, just like none of us yep. did. Because he said early on he's not as effective. He's not throwing 96. As much credit as we give, like Adam Wainwright, for example, of learning to pitch because he doesn't overblow or he doesn't blow stuff by anybody anymore. Um, Cabrera has learned to pitch. And BK sent the text to us last night. Hey, do you guys trust Cabrera now? And I was like, well, his VO is not up. So how how is it? Why is it? I have the answer to that. 68% of his pitches are strikes. He is. This man is throwing in the strike zone. It's his slider. Oh, Guys, that's not what I was thinking. His numbers have been updated from last night. His numbers were great last night before this. Remember when Jim Hickey told us last year, the offense. That, that is, that's Tanner right now. The slider. The slider. slider. Guys, it's a, he's throwing a slider 43.9% of the time. Just for reference, he threw a slider eight times in the four previous seasons. He's throwing it now 43.9% of the time. Opponents are hitting 200 against it, have a slugging percentage of 267. And most importantly, and man, this number skyrocketed after eight swings and misses on it last night. Opponents are whipping on his slider almost 60% of the time. His his fastball velo is down almost three miles per hour from where it was in 2021. But what he's doing is he's he's learned this pitch that has taken over baseball in the slider. It's coming out of the same release point. I looked at the 3D imaging of it from Baseball Savant last night. Jesus. And I'm the nerd. It, yeah. it's, it's coming out of the same release point. It's got great movement on it, and he can throw it close to what his fastball is. Last night he Look, got it man. in the 90s, fastball 94. I, this is why he's back. Look, it's man. a slider. You just put him in the damn circle. 68% of his pitches are strikes. Let's just go there. You don't have to give me the 3D imaging of his sliders and how he's picking the right spots. He's throwing strikes, and he's throwing fast, and he's striking. Guys, out. the guy deserves the to time, be in. Thirty-two percent of the time, the slider is the put-away pitch. I didn't know this was possible. His FIP in his last five appearances is negative. <laughs> it's a negative zero point three. Wow. Good God, I'm in. I'm in. Yep. In his last five appearances, he's gone five and two-thirds innings and has uh, given up one earned run while striking out eleven. He has allowed four base runners and struck out eleven batters in that stretch. T-Bone's right, and he's been on this with the slider for a while now. I I was skeptical. I was just like Ollie Marmel. I didn't think that we were going to see Hennessy Cabrera in a high leverage situation again. I think you can make a pretty strong case right now that outside of Helsley, Gallegos, and Thompson, the guy that I trust the most is Hennessy Cabrera. So I'm saying I'm in. I'm raising my hand. I am adding him to the circle of trust. Alex, you, you as well? I vote I on that one to put him in the circle. We have four. Now, which feels weird Cardinals, to say, yeah, Bullpen, for a team that's really struggling. Circle of trust, yeah. Which, by the way, uh, congrats on the T-shirt, Hennessy, and prepare since yeah. we put you in. That at about, I don't know, a week, you uh, probably have to have the with, shirt with removed this from slider, you. He's staying My, minus negative two average launching on the slider. Oh god, stop it! Just oh, enough. Unbelievable. <laughs> Do you guys have a projection on who the next member will be that is inducted into the circle of trust? Because right now, there's nobody else, right? Yeah. We're, we're all in agreement. Yeah. I, I I really don't have a projection on anybody else that could be inducted into the circle. Are you thinking who I'm thinking? It's a name nobody thought we'd be saying because you wanted him cut like two weeks ago. If you say Chris Stratton, no, we're it, kicking you no, off the I air. I am not allowing Jordan Hicks Jordan to be involved Hicks was in the my circle. my projection no, for no, the next no. guy. guy. Something's different since he don't moved care. on the first base uh-uh. side of the rubber. I mean, don't he's care. been filthy. Don't Ever care. Since. I'm not saying we vote him in, but I, I think he's the next guy that will ultimately end up being in the circle no. of trust. I think you're more likely to put Packy Naughton in the circle before you put Jordan he Hicks in the circle. He doesn't even have his left arm. 
I mean, he'll get it back. I think it's going to be a one of Wilking Rodriguez or Zuniga. <laughs> oh, you're going way out That's there. going down to Memphis. I think one of those two will be the next He's player that we add to, to the circle of trust. Coming up next, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including I think Chris Collinsworth, Chris Collinsworth, rather, might have been diving into some of the devil's lettuce yesterday. <laughs> I'll explain Jeez. why coming up next. And what the heck is going on with this NFL draft? Does anybody know anything about it? We'll talk about it coming up here on a 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. And I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, there is always a point in time every year where there's a take that is given by somebody in the national media about the NFL draft. And I say, yep, we're done. We've (laughs) had them all. There is no draft takes to be had any longer. And Chris Collinsworth earned that award yesterday when I heard this from him on the Pro Football Focus podcast. Chiefs defending Super Bowl champions at pick 31. Where are the Chiefs going? I couldn't leave Hendon Hooker out. I like him too much. And I, I started thinking about this thing. And I go, you know what? I mean, the only thing that really knocks the Chiefs out of contention is if something happens to Patrick for four or five days. If you get Hendon Hooker uh, for the next five years by taking him, Lamar Jackson, like at the end of the first round. What? Guys, are we all we find? Are we finding the successor for Patrick Mahomes? I mean, they are the Kansas City Chiefs. You lost Tyree Kill because I of them. I saw from Pro Football Focus, I think, yesterday that Mahomes should request a new contract, too. So And request a <laughs> trade. Kansas City's not good. Guys, when we get to the place where we have put the quarterbacks in every possible destination, and the newest destination is with the Kansas City Chiefs to draft a first-round quarterback to be a backup for Patrick Mahomes, yep. All of the takes have been had. It is officially time for us to get to the NFL draft. Didn't uh, thank you, Chris Collinsworth. Didn't they just sign a backup quarterback? Yes, is it Blaine Gabbert? Gabbert? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, I would take Hendon Hooker over Blaine Gabbert. Sorry, Blaine, but yeah, that, uh, yeah Collinsworth. He's uh, I think he's, I think he's still suffering from off-season syndrome right now, and he does need to hit this NFL draft hard. I, listen, if you just wanted to get Hendon Hooker at the back end of your first round because you're like, hey, I think this guy's going to be a first-round pick, so I'm going to throw him somewhere. Fine. Just use that as your explanation and not, well, if the Chiefs don't have Patrick Mahomes for four or five games, Hendon Hooker could help. Man, if you're taking a backup quarterback in the first round, you're <laughs> you're done. It's over here. Pack it up. We should all go ahead and get fired because that's what's coming. Yeah, you should probably be fired if you make that type of pick in the first round. All right. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks in the NFL draft, Alex, earlier today, C.J. Stroud, the quarterback from Ohio State, was asked about his S2 score. Of course, if you're not familiar with this, it's the new test that's basically replaced the Wonderlick that tests cognitive ability for NFL draft prospects. According to reports that have come out, and I think C.J. Stroud basically confirmed these, um, <laughs> he did not score particularly well on this test, and it is one of the reasons why he is dropping among NFL teams in terms of their draft boards. When he was asked about this, he said, quote, I'm not a test taker. I play football. I know I'm one of the smartest quarterbacks in the league. If you don't think that I or I don't think you can play at Ohio State and not be smart. Alex, when you hear this, your reaction is what? 
I'm not a test taker. I play football. I know I can be one of the smartest quarterbacks in the NFL. I uh, I said that back in high school. I said I'm not a test taker. I'm street smart and. Well, it didn't really work. And now work. you're on the radio. That's true. I mean, technically it did now work out. Now you found a life hack. It was kind of a rags to riches story for me, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, we went through that. The that mean that, streets of South <laughs> County. Hey, Arnold, <laughs> Jefferson County. Yeah. All right, man. <laughs> Grew up on the hill, though. So, like, those are mean. Those are meaner streets. Yeah. Uh, we went through that list a couple of weeks ago of guys when they have that low of a test score and how they fare in terms of pros and it doesn't look well for cj stroud so i mean you have to be pretty confident to say something like that i i do lean more towards the test numbers do kind of they coincide with how you perform at the pro level in terms of decision making and how fast you're going to be but i'm super high on cj stroud so i would actually lean a little bit more towards him and say i i I think he's Correct in the sense that don't worry about the test scores. Let's see what he's got to prove on the field. That's where I'm at as well. Really, I would not have commented at all. I would probably have avoided media availability today. <laughs> I, all of the players are available for that play sixty I, stuff. I, I, <laughs> I'm going to pass I, on uh, that question. Yeah, because to me, it, it almost the fifth to me, yeah. To me, it almost I'm sounds out. like yeah. Hey, by the way, I'm not going to be very good at getting prepped for games. Like that's what I mean. Isn't that isn't that what the isn't that what preparation is yeah, for a football but as game? A rookie, and if you're not a good test taker, you're not a good preparation person, probably. So yeah, but as a call rookie, me concerned. Yeah, you can I learn. said that about Kyler Murray. Guess what he's doing? That's right. He didn't learn. He started using his discount code to go get double XP on Call of Duty. I don't even know what the Tanner's hell that means. Tanner's the only one that yeah, can make was, that joke I'm on out the show. on that, man. What's double XP? Uh, All we'll right, final thing here as we go through some NFL <laughs> quick hitters. The voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joins us on the other side. Pac-Man Jones. I didn't. Man, if you would have told me 10 years ago that I would be saying this on the radio, I would have said, you are a liar. Pac-Man <laughs> Jones you're a liar. is on the Pat McAfee show today, and he was asked what's going on with DeAndre Hopkins. Pac-Man Jones, the former NFL cornerback, said, quote, my sources have told me that something might be happening with the Chiefs or the Bills, end quote. Isn't that what the rumors have been like for the last two months? DeAndre Hopkins was asked by CBS Sports... Not to answer verbally, but to answer with um, a head nod. Yeah, with <laughs> clues, with um, yeah, just movements, basically. Hey, how would you feel about going to team X, Y or Z? And basically he said no to the Patriots, no to the Jets, but yes to the Bills, yes to the Chiefs. So he has essentially confirmed these are the two spots that he would like to go to. My sources are telling me it's going to be one of those two also. Alex, he has a $19 million cap hit this year, and it sounds like that's the hang-up for a lot of these teams that would like to trade for DeAndre Hopkins. Do you believe that he will be dealt by the end of this week's NFL draft? Yeah, I do. I I believe the writing is on the wall for Arizona, and I think Arizona's looking at this. I don't even know if a team would be able to give up a top-two pick. The first or second round pick in this year's draft, I think you might be talking third round or later for DeAndre Hopkins, but I believe one of those two teams will get this done before the end of the NFL draft. Yeah, I, I think he gets dealt, and I think it's going to happen tomorrow night. Probably during the draft would be my guess. Kind of like the, and we didn't see it coming at the time, of course, the A.J. Brown trade that happened in the first round of, gosh, was that Each last year's the last draft? two years we've seen this. Uh, what's his face? Wilson. Uh, Hollywood Brown. 
traded oh, yeah. a couple of yeah. years ago from the Ravens to the Cardinals as well. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. So I, I think you see it happen on draft night because those teams that we're talking about, they've got later first round picks like the Chiefs. I mean, you just heard they might be taking if they're thinking heading hooker 31, they might as well they're, trade they're that not. pick to, Deion, to oh. get DeAndre Hopkins. So I, I think you'll see the trade be done. I, I do think it's going to be Chiefs or Bills. I, I don't know if I have a strong read on who necessarily is going to get him. I think it's, I think it's one of those bills. two. I think, I think the too. Bills need him more than the Chiefs need him. I think that the Bills are more desperate. Because they haven't won yet. They, mm-hmm. they haven't won the Super Bowl yet, and I, I think that's going to lead to them making and the, a bigger move or and being willing to make the Chiefs move. know that like they can put anybody. I mean, they just had Valdez, Scantling, and a couple of other dudes, and they nearly won it all with it. So, I mean, but they did win it all with it. So, uh, All right, coming up next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. He's going to join us here on 101 ESPN. There's an NHL defenseman that may become available that I want to ask Chris Kerber about. He plays for the Flames, and... How about this? It's not Mackenzie Weger. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And right now we're happy to go out to the Brown to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by the voice of the blues. He's Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN curves. We appreciate the time as always, man. Are you a bar soap or a uh, body wash guy with a loofah? Ooh, uh, I, I, I do both. Just depends. What? How do you do both? Well, I don't do both in the same shower, you knucklehead. I, uh, like it's just, yeah, but you commit to one side or the like, other. Yeah, it's no, being a fence like, sitter here, Curves. You got to choose. <laughs> yeah, no, listen. No, I got I got this. Uh, my wife has this like natural bar of soap stuff, which is uh, which is great, and I like it. And then sometimes, you know, you go with the Old Spice body wash and and use the loofah. So um, yes! I, I, I do I do both. Do you I, use the loofah on the bar of soap also, Curves? Sometimes. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. I've never met anybody that doesn't establish themselves as either a bar soap or a body wash guy. I feel like you've got to decide which lane am I going down and and just stick with that, man. Yeah, but but I give you a different perspective here. We travel a lot, right? Yeah, and I know I don't I don't travel with my own soap. That's a pain in the butt. Well, you got to get so your you loofah. Get... Alex has sixty of them at home. Yeah, curbs. I have no, a like, uh, no, you... curbs. I have a body loofah and a butt loofah. Oh well, you gotta have two. You, you, you absolutely have to have two separate loofahs in that situation. Thank you. you that, yes. Yeah. Well, the last thing you want to be doing is scrubbing your head or any part of your body yep, with a loofah that was picking up any change yep. like that. You don't need absolutely. People uh, thought I side, was the crazy one. Stuck in curb's hair. So <laughs> listen, Whoa. listen, Brandon. Brandon, if you if you do do that by any chance, like if if you do use uh, like if you do use the same loof on your butt or your nether regions that you use on the rest of your butt, that's how you get pink eye. That makes sense. Boom, Curbs, do you use shampoo uh, or conditioner? <laughs> uh, <laughs> on my back or my head? <laughs> I was asking that's, about a, where, where uh, most of us would use it. Cur- curbs, Curbs does. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's a oh, fair I follow-up. I, I don't know. No, no, okay. Now listen, but in all honesty, so I, I do love the scent and, and the feel. The, the Avita has this great, uh, this rosemary mint shampoo. Freaking love this stuff. 
So from time to time, I will use that, even if it is just, you know, doing the old Brunswick and, you know, you know, buffing the bowling ball. <laughs> Uh, Curves, this is this is my favorite interview this we've ever done. This made me so happy today, Curves. I could spend the next 10 minutes talking about this, but we do need to talk a little bit of hockey, unfortunately. Oh, I think we keep talking. It, it's, oh, been, it's, been a, <laughs> it's been a really good Stanley Cup playoff so far. There's been some re- a compelling series, especially in the Western Conference. Uh, if you have a big picture takeaway, or maybe you have an individual series that you've had a significant takeaway from, what is it so far with what you've seen, Curbs? Well, I, I actually think and these playoffs aren't showing us anything that we didn't know, uh, but I think what we've seen in these playoffs, especially the Western Conference, is one through eight wide open, which is why just getting in matters. You know, it, I don't think when, you, when we saw the L.A. Kings towards the end of the season and then watching what they're doing with the Edmonton Oilers, they're playing a style that's finding a way to make them successful. It's not the flashiest of styles, but it wouldn't surprise me to see him come out of the East or come out of the West. And, and that's the scenario. You're not going to be surprised if McDavid and Dreisaitl lead the Edmonton Oilers uh, out of the West. Same thing with all the talent they have in, 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 uh, in, in, in Vegas. You know, Obviously, health is a bit of an issue, and McCarr suspended for tonight for Colorado. But you know, just top to bottom. You know, uh, even, you know, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Dallas, one of those teams, they've got the goaltender to do it. Like, there's the, – the West is wide open. So what it's shown me is that when the Blues had their exit interviews and met with the media and several veterans said, we didn't come together as a team this year, that was really the factor that's missing because what I am seeing is absolute give-it-all-for-the-team kind of play on both the East and the West. And, and I think it's really clear that that was a major factor missing at the Blues this season. Curbs, uh, specifically on the Blues, BK and I were just talking about this a couple of commercial breaks ago because Pat Steinberg, who covers the Calgary Flames, uh, was talking yesterday on his show about Calgary and what they're going to be doing this offseason, and it's going to come down to how certain players feel about sticking around or if they have to move on from those pieces if they're not willing to sign a contract. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the player, but a guy like Noah Hannafin, who played for Carolina, has played for Calgary the last few seasons, a left-handed defender, Defenseman. Could Calgary be a match for St. Louis in terms of conversations in the offseason? Yeah, well, they got to figure out the GM situation, and Calgary's got to be really careful here because, uh, you, know, you know, they made some – the moves that were made were forced upon them. Matthew Kachuk was not going to stay in Calgary, and Johnny Gaudreau tried to circle back with the team later, but that, that ship had already sailed. Um, and, and Brad Trey living, I think, is a good general manager that did the best he could there. To turn around and get what he got from Matthew Kachuk and Reese, it, you know, it's not on Brad Trey living that, that Huberto is there. If there is anything that's on the GM, it's sticking with Daryl Sutter maybe a little too long. You know, and Daryl Sutter, we know, has a very limited shelf life. You know, so would maybe Goudreau or would maybe somebody else have stayed in Calgary if Daryl Sutter wasn't the head coach? That's the biggest question that has to be answered, in my opinion, for Calgary. Calgary is an excellent hockey market. You're treated extremely well. They're still working like all heck to try and get a new building built. You know, so, so from a recruiting standpoint, they're battling a couple of factors, the building and, and facilities being one of them. But the biggest other factor they're battling with is I don't know that a lot of players today really enjoy and want to play for Daryl Sutter. You know, and, uh, and, and that's something that they've got to get figured out. So, Hannafin's a kind of player that, yeah, if all of a sudden 
Calgary says Noah Hannafin's up for grabs. You're not doing your job if you're any one of the other 31 teams if you're not calling and saying what's it going to cost and what's it look like. Curbs, final question. We'll get you out of here on this. Chris Curbs is the voice of the Blues. You can uh, hear him on 101 ESPN, and you can follow him on Twitter at Chris Kerber. We've talked a lot about the Cardinals today. I know that you are the voice of the Blues, but you pay attention uh, to the Cardinals plenty as well. And I think some of your frustrations with the team uh, are very similar to what I would say the frustrations have been for the text line as well. What are your big Cardinals takes right now? You got anything you want to get off your chest today? You know what? I just they got to find a way to relieve some pressure right now because You've got a manager that's clearly a little more uptight in his second season. Uh, that 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 was shown. I think there was a real mistake in how the Tyler O'Neill thing was handled, and I don't know that that message was received in the room as well as it should have been. The results haven't come from that, so I, I think you've got to recover from that kind of thing. I think, and, and and having not been in the room, I don't know what the trust is between the players and the manager, but somewhere I think they've got to take the pressure off some of the young guys because a lot of guys are feeling it with the way this season has started. Now, it's still extremely recoverable, as you know, but, but game, look, games in – just because it's early doesn't mean that games in the early part of the season don't carry as much weight as games in the latter part of the season. So, to me, uh, to me, start putting some guys in roles. Let guys figure out where they're going to play. You don't need a different lineup every single night. Like, you just don't. Get a set lineup, let guys define the roles and go with it, and I think you're going to be better off. And I know that's very basic, but that's the psyche of sports. And right now I think it's not as much talent as they're dealing with stuff between the years. That's my take from the outside and talking to a couple people on the inside. Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again next week. Enjoy yourself this weekend. By the way, how was the whiskey? Was it good? Oh, I got a surprise for you, bud. I just haven't been able to get in yet. So the whiskey's excellent. So hang tight. You get you got you got something to look forward to. Now, I will leave it up to you on whether or not you want to share it with Tanner and and uh, and Alex because remember, those two still have reneged on a bet surrounding Albert Pujols where I'm still waiting for them to step up with a bottle of Patty's Irish whiskey. So I would remember that st- Curbs. I would remember that. Curbs, I would have remembered making that bet. You guys, you guys don't remember me filling in for no, BK. No. And when Alex Albert and Pujols were the, the biggest go, Albert Pujols supporters last year, yeah. Curbs. Yeah, but he, no, this was two years ago. When Albert Pujols got let go of the, from the Angels, and he's about to sign with the Dodgers, the bet was, and I'm filled in, because it was one of your over-under segments, right? And they go five home runs for Albert Pujols the rest of the year. And Tanner and Ferrario said zero, or they said under. I said, you guys are nuts. He's going to get signed. He's going over. And they go, no, he's not. And I said, okay, let's bet a bottle of whiskey. You guys, if he goes over, you guys just buy me one bottle of Patty's Irish whiskey. If he goes under, I will buy you each a bottle. It's only 22 bucks, fellas. This isn't bad. And you guys still haven't paid up on that. And I will have the podcast to prove it. Hey, Curbs, I'm 23. I'd remember that. <laughs> Uh, I, get right get on it. Pull up the podcast. Curbs, I, I, up. Curbs I'd appreciate it if you, uh, when you try to bring that whiskey to BK, if you tripped and fell and broke that bottle whoa, of whiskey. Whoa, see, this is why I'm not sharing That's it with him. Curbs, you and I will share it over, over a beautiful yeah, dinner. You and fine. I. Uh, yeah. 
We'll, we'll, we'll share it, and then, and then they step up like men and don't welch on their bets. Then we'll deal with yeah, them. I, I, I would have remembered that. It's probably because I loss of exa- sleep, exhaustion from having two kids. That's probably why I don't remember that. Curves, thanks as always, man. We'll talk with you again next week. Cheers, boys. Take it easy. That's Chris Kerber, voice of the blues here on 101. He can call me whatever he wants. I've just learned that Chris Kerber uses two loofahs, one for his body and one for his butt. So <laughs> great day for me, boys. And he shampoos and conditioner. His head buffs the bowling ball, he said. That's right. It's good to know. This is a this is a great day for me. I've never learned more about Chris Kerber than I did in the first minute uh, 30 of that conversation. Let's amend that sentence and say I've never learned more about Chris Kerber's shower habits than that first minute and 30 seconds. Uh, this sure, is the most jarring stat that I've seen on the Cardinals. I'll tell you next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. The place you can find it is 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. Alex, there are a lot of unbelievable Cardinal statistics right now. Uh, one of them is that this is the worst start for the Cardinals through 24 games in 50 years. Since 1973, when they started the season at 5 and 19. Another one was tweeted yesterday by Buster Olney of ESPN.com. He tweeted this. I asked Sarah Langs how many games the Cardinals played with their team ERA at or above where it is right now, which is at a 4.48. The answer is remarkable. In 2009, two, they spent two games that entire season where their team ERA was at 4.48 or higher. And then I'm going to go by a year from there. 2009, it was two. The next year, one, three, zero, one, one, zero, three, seven, five, eleven in 2019, zero in 2020, 18 last year in 2021. This year, they have played 23 games. Their team ERA has been at or above 4.48 in 21 of those 23 games so far this season. They have already had a team ERA higher than 4.48 or above than they did at any point over the last 13 years. T-Bone, you think what I'm thinking? Manager issue. It's going to get better. Oh, we were totally thinking <laughs> no, different We were things. not thinking the same things. The last time they had a team ERA this high was 2007. The year before that, in 2006, it was at 4.55. Guys, we can talk till we're blue in the face about what's going wrong with the Cardinals, the manager, all of these different things, the base running, the defense, everything. It comes down to two things. And this is going to be the best analysis that you hear on the station all day long. They got to win more than the other team. They're not pitching well enough, and they're not hitting well enough. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk to you tomorrow. I know that is unbelievable, uh, un- unbelievably simplistic. And we can... We have and will and can get into the nitty gritty of what's going into those problems. But that's the truth, man. They're not pitching very well right now. They're not getting off to good enough starts. And 
they're not hitting the ball hard enough consistently enough. They're not slugging at all. When you have those two things combined, and it's really hard to win consistently. And right now, it's really hard to win in general. For I'd say another job well done by Stat Boy. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. No, it's true though. I mean, you you don't have the pitching. <laughs> You don't you don't have you don't have good pitching early in games. You're not going to stand a chance. And whether it be the rotation, which I think has been better of late, it's stabilized. Uh, where early on in the year, you know, Michaels had the big first inning against Toronto. Like that, I, I agree. And I think John Denton said this when we talked to him earlier in the show. Early on, it felt like hey, maybe the offense is pressing, trying to make up for the lack of pitching they're getting. But now that's just not the case. Now the offense isn't slugging, and there is just that one big moment, like uh, the Verhagen home run against the Giants. When they made it, what was it, four nothing? I think at that point, mm-hmm. four nothing game shouldn't f- all feel that like insurmountable for the St. Louis Cardinals. Maybe when it's that late in the game, but this offense should be good enough to what John Denton said earlier, where even on their bad nights, they should be scoring three, four runs and have a chance in that kind of a game where one bullpen arm gives up a home run late in the game. They they're just not that right now. Offensively, it's like man, if we score one, it would be great, and hopefully our pitching hold, put throws up a zero. And that's just a hard way to win when you're pressing like that yeah, as a team. I I really think like I would have never believed that the pitching was going to get right before the offense was going to get right. That would it has it has, and I feel more confident with the exception of two guys pitching in that rotation. And then of course when we get Wayne right back, we'll see what that looks like. But I feel more confident with Jack Flaherty out there, and felt the same with Jordan Montgomery. Your bullpen's been really good for you. It's all come down to this offense, and right now, I said it earlier, you just don't fear the Cardinals the way that you feared them last season with Goldschmidt, Naranato, and the second half of Albert Pujols, and it doesn't matter what your pitching does if your offense is only scoring you one or two runs a game. It's the same that could be said about what the Blues went through, where it's like, yeah, you score three or four goals, it's great, but you're giving up five goals every single night. Now it's the flip of that. Your your pitching's giving you two runs, that's it, that the other team's scoring, but then you're only getting three hits in a game against the bullpen of the San Francisco Giants. Uh, the, once again, runners in scoring position. They're batting 212 in those situations so far on this road trip. Uh, that's obviously not good enough. They're also not getting enough opportunities with runners in scoring position so far uh, on this road trip. I, I said coming in, I think they have a real chance to go 7-3 and three on this road trip. And if they do, we're all going to be feeling pretty good when they get back home. They're already 1-4. and four. They can't get to seven and three. If they lose tonight, they will guarantee themselves at best, at best, a 500 road trip. This has been a massive failure so far going up against Seattle and San Francisco, two teams that are also trying to find their footing. You were supposed to be able to at least get yourself to 500 or so on this trip. And you're not there right now. Alex and T-Bone will have you guys taken care of with Michelle Smallman tomorrow. I'm taking a day off to go hang out, have myself a good old time in Kansas City. I hope that the Cardinals win 27 to nothing tonight. So you guys have nothing but fun to talk about tomorrow. 27 to nothing means I'm going to be up till 1230. I'll be back with you guys on Friday at 11 a.m. Until then, the fast lane's coming up next on 101 ESPN. I have a designated booty booty loofah. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.